0: Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing?
1: Uh much much better than than last week. Why why is that? Well, I'm I'm sobered up now. Stone Cold
0: sober. <laughs> well, I mean, I know you have a few at work just to get yourself <laughs> sure. through the day.
1: But. Yeah. <laughs> a few uh yeah, a few a few blasts. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> nice. Um but uh all right, now David, we got we got business to take care of. Yeah, this is right. for
1: those who maybe have been listening for less than a year, <laughs> uh, and, and didn't hear hear last week's episode. We do our top ten of the year the week after the Oscars, right? Right. Because we consider ourselves the the final word. That's the way
0: I look at it. You know, yeah. the Oscars. Oh, okay. They wait in, and right. now it's. But now the time has come. Yeah. For us to talk, but th- we do. But this is our favorite.
1: Yeah, yeah. Our our, so. our favorites of, of two thousand nine. That's what we're gonna get to. But speaking of the Oscars. Yeah, we have, we have we have some bones to pick. Yeah, and we I guess just uh, in the in the rush to get get over here after watching it, there were some things we we forgot to mention. Yeah, la- last night, I, you know, I didn't take very good notes because I was tweeting.
0: Yeah, uh, that really did uh, <laughs> change things. Uh, yeah, first and foremost, I would say, um, you know, th- this the ceremony was very pandering in a lot of ways, and my uh, Jen, my wife. She watched it because uh, I she was out of town. She couldn't watch them, uh, and so I recorded it for her. She watched it today, and I watched it with her. and uh, And upon viewing it again, I came to realize just how pandering it was. and uh, And we made jokes about that terrible horror montage and stuff like that. Um, but just in j- but and and other people have commented how silly it is to have Taylor Lautner and Zac Efron presenting and stuff like that. Um, but it has has hasn't stuff like that
1: always happened hasn't there always been presenters that are clearly
0: that are like of the of the moment yeah i think so but there's something i i, I don't know like for some reason i don't know maybe uh maybe because the, the you know the the blogosphere and all that there's just up in arms and uh and twilight is is viewed is viewed as uh, such schlock as it should be um <laughs> and high school musical but uh so uh so it's, it's so everyone was like, "Oh man, I can't believe that these guys got to take the stage and all that." And if, and me, I kind of had the same thought. I was just like, "Well, you know, whatever." They're trying to get more viewers, and this might be the way to do it. So do whatever. But then I remembered that, like, they lifetime okay lifetime achievement award was was uh, not presented at this Oscars. It was presented at the other ceremony, uh, kind of ghettoized a little bit, uh, a little and bit. Quite a bit, one could say. Yeah, a hundred percent, maybe. Um, and uh, and the recipients uh, this year there were several, but uh, but the two big ones were Roger Corman and Lauren Bacall. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's one of those things where stuff like but
1: also Gordon Willis,
0: Go- yeah, Gordon Willis, a cinematographer. Yeah. you know, uh, did The Godfather, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, and others. That's the first one I think of. Um, but like. Like big people, people that actually did, yes, it's Lifetime Achievement. They've always, Lifetime Achievement usually has contributed something to film. But like just to ignore these people as if they never, I don't know, they got to stand up and everyone cheered for them. And it's like, so let me get this straight. Taylor Lautner. Uh And I've seen, I saw the first Twilight movie. And you know what? He's fine. He's, he's (laughs) He's a charming young man. But he gets to be, granted he didn't win, but he got to be on the Oscar stage and Roger Corman just got to stand up in his seat, and people applauded for him. And it just, in general, like, it just, it bothered me so much uh, in the moment. And then I I can't believe I forgot about it last week, but it's just, like, there is such a thing, well, (laughs) I'm not going out on a limb when I say what I'm about to say. There is such a thing as being too pandering. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I would say maybe more than ten percent, perhaps. <laughs> but uh, but the show really—I mean, like—I understand they want to get viewers and all that. But like, if it's really about honoring excellence and stuff like that, wh- Why even have that?
1: The horror thing. The horror thing. It didn't make any sense to me at no. all.
0: And it was several minutes long. You could have. Uh, how about this? At least bring them onto the stage. Have them both say thank you, thank you, and then they leave. Uh You know, at the very least, they got to stand up in front of people, and it just... And Jen uh, commented, she said, uh, she goes, this is, you know, this is like a few years ago when they they had some uh, winners, like, give their speech from the crowd. And I said, yeah, except they at least got to talk. Yeah. You know, this is worse than that for people that arguably are more deserving. Mm -hmm. And so it just... It just bothers me so much and it and it bothered me that we that you and I both forgot to mention it last week, but it's just after a certain point i feel... and I realize this is silly for me to say this because I'm being very idealistic but uh as I've mentioned to David I'm kind of in a bad mood right now, so uh just like I understand that Oscars you want ratings and everything and you the show has been very poorly rated and and apparently the ratings were very good for this for they this were. one um so I guess uh, mission accomplished, but it's just like you at that point, I, I think you've gotten away from what the Oscars are, in theory, supposed to be. And, uh, and after a certain point, I feel like somebody, like the Academy, the, whoever is in charge of the Academy itself, just says, like, uh, yeah, enough is enough. Uh, ratings be damned. Uh, these people contributed a lot to film, and we're going to actually let them have their say now. Yeah. Um because think about if they had done this a few years before, we wouldn't have gotten the speech from like Robert Altman, Peter O'Toole. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of uh, um
1: Blake uh Blake Edwards Blake Edward. yeah. Edwards was a great speech. Yeah.
0: And it was just like what I don't know. It just it really bothers me. There just seems to be a gen- a general to a certain extent in tr- in as far as the Oscar telecast is concerned, there just seems to be a general like yeah, yeah, old. Who cares? We don't. It doesn't matter. Nobody, nobody knows who Roger Corman is. Nobody knows who Lauren Bacall is. And so, why people aren't tuning in to see them? Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. it just it bothered me I guarantee, so much.
1: Even if you went in not knowing who Roger Corman is, he would have given uh, his speech would have been more entertaining than anything Queen Latifah has to say. Oh, there, <laughs> there's he's a he's a character. He he, he sure is, and mm-hmm. a guy who
0: has a really good sense of humor about himself, mm-hmm. um, and a guy who has would have been a great speech. Yeah, and and everybody just. I don't know, like, he's inspired so many people and worked with so many people that have gone on to win Oscars. And, uh, I don't know, that would have been a great speech. Lauren McCall probably would have been a great speech, too. Mm -hmm. And it's just... uh, But, yes, instead we got... uh, Oh, a tribute to horror films. What is that the leprechaun I see? Followed by Edward Scissorhands? Oh, horrifying! (laughs) I'm sorry, everybody. Okay, that was all. I just wanted to
1: rant about that for a second. Well... You know what? What? David's getting comfortable. Uh, honor is going to be restored to 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 the the world of cinema right now, because <laughs> there is no more serious award than the BPE. The, BPE, the BP? The Is that what we're going <laughs> to okay, call it? Go. The BPE. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: and actually, we we have an announcement to make. I'd rather do it at the at the top of the show, than at the end. Cause if you're like me, once they start going into announcements at the end, I just turn it off.
1: I can't believe I, you do that. Yeah,
0: I know. Because it's like, oh well, the funny is over, yeah. so it's time for me to stop here's listening. That's the main reason I wouldn't do
1: that. Why? Because in iTunes, it's still going to show a little left on the little ball, <laughs> and that would drive me insane. That is absolutely true. Yes. Um. So here, here's the deal. Uh,
0: yeah. So last year, we had uh, a donation drive. Yes. All right. Uh, and we're going to do it again this year. It was very successful last year. It was very successful. I was very excited. Yeah. And basically, here's how it's going to work. So, for the next four weeks, all right, uh, you donate $5. You can donate more if you like to. Don't, hey, don't let us stop you. Yeah. No. But if you donate less, by all means, go right ahead. That's fine. But you're not going but you'll you're want to donate the five. Here's why. Because uh, you w- your name will be entered into a raffle, um, for in which you could uh, receive all kinds of uh, prizes.
1: We're gonna once we have it have some more, have it sort of confirmed. We're gonna announce the actual prize packages next week. Absolutely. But uh, for those who listened when we did this last year, you know it's quality stuff. It's good stuff. It, DVDs, DVDs uh, CVs, CDs from yeah. our guests. Right. Uh yeah, not you know, we're not sitting here recording CDs for you. People with talent and pedigree and and IMDb pages are uh, David, <laughs> I do have a pretty good voice. <laughs>
0: all right. <laughs> it's very limited, but within that limitation it's pretty good. You, maybe you want to hear it. I don't know. Send us an email. And li- don't do that. <laughs> um but uh yeah, so DVDs, CDs from our guests, uh uh merch, uh BP merchandise, all kinds of good stuff. Um but yeah, so basically so you donate five dollars or more, and your name will be submitted for uh, for the raffle. Here's the thing, though. Here's yeah. the twist because there's something new, David.
1: Yeah, uh, well, n- I know there's a new way to donate. There is a new way to donate here. You, you 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 subscribe. Right. It's it, it, it lasts one year. Yeah. You give them a credit card number, bank account. I don't know what you give them. A PayPal, PayPal account. You know. account, whatever. It takes two dollars a month out. Two dollars a, a month for two dollars. Yeah. You don't even feel it. You don't even feel it. Okay. So that's the new way to donate. Right. How does that enter into the donation drive? David, I'm glad you asked. Here, I'm going to tell you. Uh Here's the deal. Uh, If you
0: sign up for a BP subscription donation, donation subscription is what I should have said, um, your name will be entered twice. Oh, man. That's right.
1: Yeah. You're twice as likely to win.
0: Twice as likely to win one of our fabulous prize packages. Wait.
1: But a person can't win two packages because their name isn't there twice
2: <laughs> no i don't think so no, i don't think so either. no um, i'm glad if, you took the question seriously yeah though. yeah
0: no i it, i took it so seriously uh you kind of threw me david because i was just <laughs> like i don't know what does the randomizer say um because that's kind of where we who we take our marching orders from these days is the randomizer yeah. but uh but yes no if you're uh one package per person. We'll say that, okay. But you're just more likely to get one. Sure. So uh, just to repeat, five dollars minimum uh, gets your name entered into the raffle. However, if you uh, sign up for the donation subscription, your name is entered twice. Yeah. All right.
1: It's, go- it's gonna be great. Yeah. Just uh, go go ahead and donate now because. It's the price packages are going to be worth it. But, you know, if you wait to hear what the price packages are because you're, you know, yeah. uh, you're a guy who likes to taste your steak before salting it. <laughs> what? Wait, <laughs> wait, what? You like to know what you're dealing with before you... Uh, Is that like...
0: No, hang on, hang on. I'm sorry. Is that a phrase? Is that like a thing that people say? Or did no, you just say
1: it? I just th- thought of it.
0: Okay. You said it as if we all knew exactly... <laughs> hey, you know, hey, uh, if you like to taste your steak before salting it... You know, if you like to look before you leap, but uh, I don't know. You just, uh, I think, uh, I think it could work. I'm uh, I'm not mad at you, David. In fact, I'm actually kind of invigorated.
1: (laughs) Okay, yeah. Then, then, by all means, wait till next week. Your donation will count just as much, right? Uh, But trust, it's going to be worth it. Yeah, and I will say this. Okay, Um,
0: we did not. We have not uh, given any indication that we were going to announce um a donation drive okay and people have been very generous uh and so here's what we're going to do uh-huh if you're okay with this i still. am okay with okay. this yeah um if you have donated in the last month your name will be added as well um because i don't like the idea that somebody you know signed up for the subscription uh you know a week ago they listen to this and they're like, Well, if I had only waited a week, yeah, then I could have gotten this, you know. Yeah. And uh and so yeah, so if you've donated in the last month, then uh then your name will be added as well.
1: So. Are people who might be girlfriends of hosts eligible? Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, we
0: we uh, we reward. I'm talking,
1: of course, about your mistress because I know she signed up for a subscription.
0: No, we reward marriage here. Is what I was going to say. Wives, <laughs> wives count. Uh, we're all about values. Okay. On battleship pretension. All right. So well, I'm I don't have a mistress, by the way. Thanks, David, for that. <laughs> I don't have a mistress. Only one woman at a time can
1: ever take me. Um, so um. take me away. <clears throat> all right. <laughs> well, I'm really glad that you're handling all of that, because that sounds like a pain in the ass. It kind of is. Okay. <laughs> so. Well, let's, let's get into it, shall we? Absolutely. Top ten of the year. F-
0: top favor- favorite ten of the year. Yeah, personal top ten. Okay, uh, just, all right. But
1: we usually start uh, with just a few honorable mentions. Well,
0: we start with uh, ones that we don't like.
1: Oh, okay, let's do that. All right. So I've on this like positivity kick lately.
0: I am as well. I mean, you listened to the last week and the week before. I feel like people shouldn't be too mean. Um, I read a uh, a review by Rex Reed, uh-huh. which is always a bad idea, by the way. Yeah. Um, I agree. But I read uh, a review of Cop Out, a film that, by and large, is considered one of the worst films of the year. I read Rex Reed's review, and it's just like, hey, look, man, come on, <laughs> you don't need to be a dick about this. And he was like, the worst. And then I'm reading all this stuff about, Ar- uh, I don't know if you if you say Armand or Armand White, like his little feud with Noah Baumbach. Have you been reading that at all? Nope. Oh, my gosh. So Noah Baumbach's new film, Greenberg, um, uh, Arm- Armand White, who is a critic out of New York, he uh, was not invited to the regular critic screening. And he was like, why? Just because I didn't like his films? It's like... One yes, that, but also the fact that you said that Noam Baumbach is clearly an asshole, though you've not met him. And Uh, you said that his mom should have had an abortion. uh, Stuff like that might be why. You'll get to see it, just not the same time everybody else. It's like, First Amendment rights. No, you still get to see it. (laughs) And no one's keeping you from writing about it. But uh, I think maybe uh, we'll reward civility here. And uh, so So, critics are are kind of mean.
1: Let's quickly... Yeah. Talk about our least favorite films of the year. Now, here's the thing. As listeners know, because I say it all the fucking time, I'm mm. not a critic professionally, so I don't have to see shit that I don't want to see. Absolutely. So I didn't see anything, uh, I don't know, what are supposed to be the really bad movies from last year? All About Steve. Oh, yes, yes, that's one. Uh, that, that kind of yeah. stuff. Um. So the, my least favorite movie that I saw in 2009 was uh, State of Play. State of Play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: uh, for a more in-depth uh, discussion of this, uh, in which we wound up disagreeing with the host, you can uh, you can go back to our first episode of the Slash Filmcast, which I think at this point is almost a year old, um, and yeah. uh, it was a lot of fun. But we discussed uh, how much we, neither of us, liked that film.
1: Yeah, it, it's. It, I mean, it's it's just preposterous <laughs> in a lot of ways that uh, there will never be anything filmic. Or cinematic, cinematically suspenseful about people, you know, typing, and there's there's some of that in the mm. movie. Uh, but but there's also just a just a really uh, simplistic. Um, well, okay, the 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 plot, or at least the resolution to the plot, uh, mm. seems simplistic to me. Yeah, uh, but and also the politics of the movie are really simplistic. Yeah, and kind of and kind of toothless because uh, it's taking on something that we kind of, uh, that's a, everybody already knows that uh, I'm trying to think what I'm trying to say, because I wasn't prepared to talk about my least favorite films. I hadn't been thinking about this. Um, Like mercenaries, private contractors used in war. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's a real issue. Yeah. Uh, But the, the movie doesn't, actually explore the issue at right. all right it, it 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 little more than reports hey this is happening yeah you know and um uh it doesn't even go so far as to say that it's it's bad it it, yeah. it implies because the people right. orchestrating it are bad yeah but it doesn't deal with any of the actual uh they don't legal deal with the pr- and moral issues yeah the
0: principle of the thing they don't really touch yeah yeah
1: so um and just and it, yeah, just uh overall I, I, I didn't like it. I'm sorry I was so I, I stumbled through that. I, I had forgotten we were doing our least favorite films. It's fine. Uh I'll go
0: ahead and talk about State of Play as well. Um it's based on a BBC miniseries directed by David Yates and the story is almost the same. But it is amazing how much difference four more hours can make. Yeah. Because all of a sudden it is a bit more complex. At the very least the characters are more complex and uh and you just really care a lot more even though the story is basically the same as far as the kind of the broad strokes and stuff um, but uh, but the the best way I can describe you, you mentioned that it's it's kind of toothless in it's mm-hmm. uh, in its critique of things um, in high school I wrote a script uh, a screenplay called uh, the model citizen uh-huh. which is this which is uh, by the way a title I still like and I still stand by some of the story but it is just and it's about political corruption, which every every seventeen year old going to high school uh, mm-hmm. in Missouri, they all know about political corruption. We, <laughs> we look, we get it. Um, <laughs> and so, um, so I wrote this thing, and uh, and of course, if I read back, it's just like, oh, geez, this is, you know, I stand by some of the dialogue, but at this, and some of the characters, but this thing is, you know, what it is? It's written by a seventeen year old, uh-huh. but a lot of the feel of state of play is that as well. It's so broad. We're just like, uh, these guys are bad, right? We all know that. Let's not go into yeah. specifics here. But
1: it's under-informed about the, about the issue. Yeah. And it seems almost lazily, so like intentionally. Yeah. Like it didn't really, bo- the, they didn't really bother to, to research or, or to delve into the interesting thing about, yeah. about the movie. Because if you take yeah. that away, it's uh, it's a completely run-of-the-mill yeah. thriller. I would compare it I would compare it to
0: Michael Clayton, except Michael Clayton is the. It's trying. It kind of they have the same tone, but Michael Clayton is very specific Uh in what the company is doing and what it does over the course of the film. Like it's very specific. Um, But yeah, so state of play. It bothered. It's it's third from the bottom for me. If for no other reason than because. Everyone involved in it is so talented, and it should have been so much better, uh-huh. but it wasn't, yeah. and it was just, uh, just a disappointment. And you know what? I'm fine with this being uh, the, the big negative thing uh, that, we, that we talked about. I'll say that my least favorite is He's Just Not That Into You, uh-huh. because while I am not a professional critic, I am a husband, as I mentioned. And uh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes you've got to make sacrifices. Uh, it's my least favorite, and then uh, It's Complicated is uh, Second from the Bottom. I hated that movie. You can read my review on the website. Entitled It's Horrible. Entitled It's Horrible. Uh, And that one actually, uh, neither Jen nor myself were really interested in it, but we got tickets to an early screening, and I thought, oh, I'll be able to write a a really early review. Great. So uh, I went to see it, and uh, take note, David, both of us hated it. In fact, she hated it more than I
1: did. I'm glad you were able to get your review out early and get that that title (laughs) of the review because did you see the la weekly title for the review no what is it it's fucking annoying (laughs) (laughs) oh nice anyway all right so uh like i said like what i wanted to talk about was our honorable mentions indeed and there were overall i think this was a good year in film but in a sort of concentrated way like there were tight number of really good movies I think yeah and so I don't uh, you know, in past years I've had to sort of comb through and like really like pick some honorable mentions from a mm-hmm. big a big field of uh, honorable right. mentions and and um, uh, I, I wasn't really able to do that this year okay uh, there were there, there are there are four movies that I want to mention one because uh, as I've stated it's the in my opinion the funniest movie of the year but it didn't make my, my top ten was right. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs absolutely uh, but I've already talked about that movie, so I'm not really going to talk about it. I do want to talk about uh, the sixth Harry Potter movie. Which oh yeah, did not make my list, but nope. um, uh, and the aforementioned David Yates, who did the State of Play miniseries, series, yep. is doing just stellar work with that series right now. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, I still didn't like this one as much as I liked uh, Order of the Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, but it's in the same tone, and I'm so glad they're sticking with him, and he yeah. gets to be the one to see this thing through because he is uh not only m- matured the series yeah. at the in the same way that JK Rowling did yeah uh he's he's matured the actors in a way that even even uh Alfonso Cuarón yeah who did uh the third one it did it, he did a marvelous film yeah uh but he still he's that 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 script and that story didn't really call on those three to be actors right it uh, just to be they were just sort of being child actors in that movie you know uh not that children can't have meaty roles but just sort of they they were just doing what needed to be needed to be done and made for a very good film i think uh but with the fifth and sixth films they we've really been able to see them stretch some muscles and it's been uh Wonderful to me that it's worked out so well, and I and I think yeah. David Yates has, has a lot to do with that. And So I just wanted to mention uh, Harry Potter to, to and say that I'm super, super excited about the, the next right. uh, two movies. Right. Um, what did you think of, of Harry Potter this year?
0: Uh, I really liked it. Uh, I agree that I it wasn't... To me, I didn't like it as much as, as the last one. And I think that's less a function of anything about the film as it is just... The story of this one is just not as dynamic. It's a transitional story. Yeah. Like as far when you and when you actually try and when you actually think about all the things that happen in this one, there's not much. No. Yeah. As far as just plot points, as far as character, all kinds of things happen, and and David Yates wisely chooses to focus on that, which is why I think you're, it, you're right. Which is why it's kind of an actor's film more than anything else.
1: Yeah, and he, he's also done the same thing with the fifth one that he did with this one. Yeah. He uh. He's cut more out of the books than any of the past directors. I mean, the fifth book is the longest book, and he in the fifth movie is the shortest movie.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: and and because I think he's really he's not really trying to uh, adapt the books. He's trying to adapt the story. You know, the not the not the plot, but the just the story of Harry, the arc of Harry. Yeah, you know, and. And that's where that's what's at the heart of of the series. Yeah, and he and he's uh, he's he's keeping the the soul mm-hmm. of the series uh, and making it translate to movies. Yeah, you know, and you know I've defended the Chris Columbus movies before, but they are uh, yeah they are just the books on screen for the most part. You know, but they're they're not not hacky or poorly done, which is what I right. will say. And, they're, and, and they're Chris ha- Columbus has made some hacky movies. Yes. My
0: fourth from the bottom, I Love You, Beth Cooper, <laughs> starring friend of the show Paul Rust.
1: Yeah. But um, anyway, I, 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 I could end up talking about Harry Potter the whole time. Yeah. Uh,
0: I think we will wind up having an episode devoted to the Harry Potter series when the time comes.
1: If we're still doing this podcast. Yeah, I know.
0: Uh, according to somebody on iTunes, we're running out of topics. So, and we're just repeating ourselves. Oh, good film. It was actually that review that uh, led me to finally say, you know what? I'm not reading these anymore because <laughs> uh, it's just getting me in a bad mood.
1: Um but another thing about this year is that uh, in looking at my my list of the top 10, mm-hmm. almost all of them are studio films. Um and uh one of my favorite indies of the year that didn't didn't quite crack the, crack right. the top 10, but is uh it's it's an indie in in every sense, not uh, you know not just the financing, but in the fact that it's a movie that a studio would never ever make. Okay, uh, and then it is Bobcat Goldthwait's film, World's Greatest Dad.
0: which I actually have sitting over there. I'm gonna watch it very soon. I really want to see it. It's
1: uh, it's it's really really strong. I mean, it has he 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 continually throughout the movie makes directorial and writerly decisions that at first I go, no way that's going to work. And then yeah. I go, oh, he pulled it off. Yeah. And that happens over and over again throughout uh, throughout the film. Um, oh, are you all done with your... Uh, I was done with Rose uh... dad, but um, I, I do have one more to talk about. Okay, go ahead. Uh, and honorable mention might not even be the right category for this because I have real problems with the film. I don't think it's that... Yeah, I I don't think it's you know it's not like it's here because it's the fourteenth one on my list. It's for it's actually much further down than that. But it's a movie that won't get out of my head. Okay, and that I think is uh, possibly the ballsiest movie that came out in two thousand nine, and it's uh, observe and report. Oh,
0: that's in my uh, honorable mention as well. It is good.
1: Yeah. Uh, so let's that'll be the transition from mine to yours. Let's talk okay. about observe and report. Yeah, uh,
0: man, oh man, this movie is not what people thought it was going to be. People really thought it was going to be uh, Paul Blart mall cop. Right, only R-rated, like they can say yeah, fuck or whatever, yeah. yeah. And boy, do they. But, <laughs> uh, but man, it is so much more. I mean, uh, so many people have talked about, oh, this is like Taxi Driver. And I remember thinking like, yeah, all right. And then I saw it, it's like Taxi Driver. <laughs> um, but it's also, it actually reminded me a lot of Punch Drunk Love as well. Uh, um, in that you have a a main character that that you feel like you've seen so often in kind of broad comedies, which is like the schlubby, uh, you know, kind of socially awkward, if not straight up socially retarded. I hate to put it that way, but uh, main character who's ah uh, he's good natured at heart, and in the end he's gonna win. Uh-huh. You know, you just gotta stick with him and believe in him, and and he'll believe in himself, and so. And, and and so like it, so that's what that's what it is on the surface, and that's what clearly the studio wished it was only. Um, and then you get the specifics, and the specifics are oh my gosh, like this guy he's he's all of that, but not in like a good way. When he does uh, spoilers, he does come out ahead, but the way in which he does is horrifying. Uh-huh. This is also a film that is shockingly violent. Uh, and you don't expect it, and disturbingly
1: violent. I mean, not like there's <laughs> yeah. not torture or anything. But, no, uh, in, in a way that I yeah, there's violence in a way that I found upsetting. Yeah. Uh, oh, but, absolutely. But not that it turned me off of the film. It,
0: yeah, it belonged there. Yeah, uh, and just in general, any comedy where you walk out discussing, uh, you know, the specifics of what constitutes rape, uh-huh. I'd say maybe that's a, a very different kind of comedy, and and one that was just. I think it was overlooked at the box office. I think most, I think a lot of critics didn't care for it. Some, some of them really liked it, and audience members just had no, just had no patience for it. Yeah. And uh, for the but,
1: record, I want to say that in my opinion, that was rape. Okay, uh, just because he is too socially maladjusted to realize it's rape doesn't mean it's <laughs> right, not yeah, rape. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's my opinion on the subject. Okay, uh, <laughs> but the 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 gem scene of the movie for me. Okay. Is when he's talking he wants to become a cop and he's talking to like the police like psychologist. Uh, yeah. And describes his like sort of fantasies. Yeah. Or whatever. Not sexual fantasies, but just uh his his dreams, what goes on in his head. Yeah. And it's incredibly insane yeah. in a way that is at first funny and then disturbing. Yeah. And then funny and then fascinating yeah. and then kind of perplexing and then funny and it's just yeah. like it's a, it's an amazing scene and it's, an, um, it's amazingly delivered that whole monologue yeah. by Seth Rogen
0: and it's odd that you bring up that scene because it is followed by maybe my favorite scene uh-huh. which is after uh, he uh, after the report comes back from the police psychologist uh, and Ray Liotta who hates Seth Rogen with a passion he's decided he's going to be the one to deliver the news that hey man you didn't make it uh-huh. Um, and he has his and Ray Liotta has his, his cop buddy hide in the closet because uh-huh. man, this is going to be hilarious. And then the scene happens, and it starts out kind of funny, and then you realize like this guy has only one dream, and it's gone now. Uh-huh. And then Ray Liotta's cop buddy comes out of the closet midway through the scene and goes, "I'm sorry, uh, I'm just going to leave. I thought this was going to be funny, and it's just kind of sad. Yeah, and it's actually like a real moment, but." That one could say that's the film in general, yeah, I thought it was going to be funny, and it turned out being sad. Don't get me wrong, it's still also very funny, yeah, so
1: so th- th- those are what what else do you have your mention uh
0: i'll just I'll just breeze o- i'll just uh I'll leave one out and I'll just breeze over the other one. um I really enjoyed Sherlock Holmes, really I didn't see it. I like it more in retrospect than I did at the time i I remember being really bothered by. The action adventure Jack Sparrow like interpretation of Sherlock Holmes like that I'm like that's not the Sherlock Holmes that I read about, um, and it's not. It is much more uh, you know crazy and Guy Ritchie esque one could say, uh-huh. um, but uh, but it is anchored by some very solid performances, and it's just. But also it's just a gorgeous film to look at, to listen to. It's just very fully realized and. At its core, the story could not be more Sherlock Holmes uh, oh, ish. That's good. And the character himself, while being you know kind of rollicking, at his core is the is the the essence of Sherlock Holmes. And uh, and I just really enjoyed the movie uh, more every time I think about it.
1: So, are you excited about the possible new Guy Ritchie project? Have you heard about this? No. What is that? King Arthur. Hmm. Now, Antoine Fuqua just did The Definitive King Arthur. There's no question, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few years back. But uh yeah, that that'll be interesting to see. But okay, let's let's leap right into it. This is going to be we we've been talking too far too long. Yes, yes. Uh hopefully there'll be some overlap and we'll be able to uh I think
0: there's actually going to be a a surprising amount of overlap.
1: Okay. Well, I'll I'll go first. Uh my number 10 favorite film of the year. Okay. Um which was up until recently my favorite animated film of the year, but we'll have to wait till number six to, right. to get to that, uh, is Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay. Did you did you see it? I did see it, yes. And how did you feel about it?
0: I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. I'm not sure if I would say I loved it. In fact, I, w- I, w- I can't think of anything I don't like about it. You know what I mean? It's just so much fun and just so genuinely pleasant while kind of mildly exploring some deeper themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a... it's wonderful to look at, and it's just very enjoyable. Uh,
1: I, I I felt like finally we've seen what Wes Anderson wants us to see in his brain, yeah. even though it's not his story. <laughs> yeah. Because he, uh, he he was able to exert the control and obsess over the minutia that has always been, yeah. I think, his real reason for getting into film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and that's why it was so surprising to me, because I've never been as listeners know, I've never been a Wes Anderson fan. Yeah, uh, and I, I just, I just loved the, the, the not only, uh, yeah, the, the look and aesthetic, mm-hmm. um, which I've always liked about his films. But I, yeah. I like how, I mean, I've always admired about his films. I haven't actually yeah. liked them as a, uh, as, yeah. a, as an audience member. But I've always admired that part of it. Yeah. But in this time, because he was able to, you know, top to bottom create the whole thing, it really yeah. informed the world of the film. Yeah, uh, in a way that maybe you just can't do with live action, uh, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe that maybe that's the case. Unless you have, I don't know. Maybe maybe Terry Gilliam.
0: Yeah, if only. If anything, he always he always seemed just constrained by. Damn it, I have to work in reality. Uh-huh. Like I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if an actor said, "Yeah." He asked me if I'd be willing to get plastic surgery because I don't look quite like he needs me to look. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's. I will say that like if there is. I didn't think about it at the time, but I cannot think of a more perfect pairing than Roald Dahl and Wes Anderson. That's
1: that was be my next point. It's not only is it Wes Anderson doing what he probably should be doing, yeah. it's it, it never loses its Roald Dahlness. It yeah, it, it revels in it. It's I mean it's 'cause it's a movie about talking animals. Yeah. So I guess technically it's for children, or at least that's the perception. Yeah. But I mean, they talk frankly about death mm-hmm. and aging and uh there's uh, you know, it gets his tail cut off, and there's yeah. blood. Yeah. And uh, when they, <laughs> one thing I love that feels very rawed out to me is that even though they're talking animals and they're anthropomorphized, yeah. when it comes to certain things, they're still animals in a way that that it's kind of alien to us, like the way they eat. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, just sort of like going from being a very civilized guy in a a corduroy suit, uh, then suddenly Mr. Fox is just... (laughs) Uh,
0: And, of course, the film does have what I think might be my favorite uh, comic line of the year, uh which is delivered by, as we all know, my arch nemesis, Michael Gambon, um, (laughs) in which... (laughs) I'm sorry. In which uh, in which, uh, a character, na- he, he plays the villain, uh, one of the villains. Michael Gammon does. Michael yeah. Gammon plays one of the villains, and uh, there's and a character. And he has like a
1: sort of a, a minstrel or a troubadour yeah. or something. Named Petey. Yeah, right, uh, voiced by Jarvis Cocker. Right, who
0: uh, he writes a song that uh, Michael Gammon's character does not like, and uh, he admonishes him and finally says, You wrote a bad song, Petey. <laughs> and
1: then walks away, yeah. Ah. Uh, Good stuff. All right, number 10 on your list.
0: Number 10, I think we might wind up being able to skip discussing it right now. Okay. It is uh, Where the Wild Things Are.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about that one later. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right, so you're number nine, David. What do you got?
1: Uh, This one is not on your list because I'm pretty sure I'm the only person I know who likes this movie. Okay. And it's Michael Mann's Public Enemies.
0: Oh yeah, okay. It's yeah, it's uh, wedged right between Terminator Salvation and The Blind Side for me. Yeah, you weren't a fan. <laughs> I was not a fan.
1: I can tell, and I understand. Yeah, uh, if you went to see a a biopic that explored the inner mind and <laughs> <laughs> and life of John Dillinger, you would have been totally disappointed. No, nah, yeah. Uh, but if you went in to see a, as a sort of abstract formalist piece of cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh I think that you like me would have been tickled pink by this movie. Yeah. Uh I just love <clears throat> the way it moves. I like that the uh in a way the characters if you will are just as much uh a a technical part of the movie as the cinematography or the sets or or, okay. or anything else. It's uh it's yeah, it, the, it technically it has a story you know, but really, it's yeah. it's just uh, I just loved getting into its its rhythms, yeah, uh, and just the the way that the images unfold, yeah, uh, one after another. It's a it, it's it's a it's a wonderfully shot. If you're okay with the him shooting things digitally, which is what he does now, and get yeah. over it, purists doesn't yeah. bother me. But I guess it does bother some people when
0: yeah doesn't bother me.
1: Um. i but uh, I forgot what I what I started to say. But the 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 cinematography is gorgeous and, yeah. uh, but not even gorgeous because it's not like, the thin red line where it's mm-hmm. gorgeous to look at, yeah. you know. Uh, it's just it, it's everything is so of a piece, and yeah. you can feel you can almost feel the. uh Here's the thing I like to think. I like to sometimes. Sometimes it helps to think of film as uh, sculpture, mm-hmm. right? And there are different kind of sculptures that can be very good. Some sculptures are pieces of metal welded to one another, mm-hmm. and sometimes you get a sculpture that is that was uh, painstakingly and beautifully chiseled from one huge, gorgeous piece of oak or whatever. Yeah, you know, it's it's all it, it's all there. It all clearly sprang from the same well, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, I, I think it's the best Michael Mann film I've seen in years. Um, because I didn't like Miami Vice and I had problems with collateral. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think that, um, it's not a movie for everyone. Yeah. It's a movie for, uh, I don't know, film students. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, I would, it's I would worth say, showing to
0: people. Okay? I would say that's, that's if about right. And, and remember, these are our lists of favorites, not necessarily our list of best, because if this was a list of what I think were the best, then yes, uh, Public Enemies would be above Terminator Salvation. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where the things that I that I look for in, in film, which is, of course, characters that I not even necessarily relate to, uh-huh. but but at least care about. Um, and it's it's very well acted. It's very well... Uh, I'd say it's 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 pretty well written, um, but it is. I'd say the film is a technical achievement more than anything
1: else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right; the cinematography is great, the editing is really great, and uh, and the the big shootout followed by the car chase is the best action scene he's done since Heat. It's it great. Might even be better. I'm going to go out on a lim- limb. It might be better than the bank robbery in Heat. It's really
0: wonderful. It, yeah. It's, um, nice. it's uh, yeah. It reminded me of uh, the scene at the end of L.A. Confidential. Uh, that part but I'd say even better than that yeah Um, it's it's, it really crazy exciting and like whether you care about the characters or not uh
1: in that moment just like uh, you just can't help but get caught up in what's happening and uh, yeah that's uh, you don't need to care about the characters he's made just a strictly formalist piece of yeah of of, a, a piece of cinema that happens to also fall into the category of narrative. Yeah. But it's not really. That's yeah. not, I don't think that's what he said. He didn't set out to make a narrative. He's like,
0: look, I need an excuse to do this. What do you got? <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got this script about... Uh, uh, oh, shoot, now I can't remember. John Dillinger. John Dillinger. Yeah. I got this script about John, John Dillinger and uh, Melvin Purvis. Um, yeah, all right. Sure, okay. <laughs> Why not? Um, I guess those guys are interesting, right? Well, not really based on my script. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but... Uh, but yeah, and, and I will say just in general that it's a shame that the film was kind of overlooked by audiences and critics because I think it deserved to be up for some technical Oscars, uh-huh. like probably editing. I'd say costume design. I don't often pay attention to costume design, but the yeah. costumes really felt lived in in the film. And it was just, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it on that level, but I just didn't care.
1: And Dillinger was a guy who's, who used his clothes to say things about him. That's true, yeah. yes, yes. But that's not what the movie's about. Who cares? Right. Alright, uh number nine on your list.
0: Alright, well I think uh this one's also gonna be Yeah, that's fine. Uh this this episode's already pretty long. So okay. um Crazy Heart. Uh yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll later. talk about that in a minute. David, go ahead.
1: We have a lot of overlap, but in the like the opposite order. Yeah, number eight. Uh number eight for me is uh Precious, a movie which is based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Oh, okay. Is this on your top ten? No. Okay. Um but you did see it. I did see it, yes. Uh, I had, um, reservations going in because Mm. I felt that anything that moved Oprah Winfrey and Tyler Perry to pick it up (laughs) was probably going to be kind of, kind of preachy. Yeah. Um, One could
0: venture to say overwrought
1: maybe. Yeah. Perhaps. And and I don't know how you feel about it. In my opinion, it's, it's not, um, it's, it's all there. <clears throat> but somehow it manages to,
0: because t- I mean, it, man, if you watch that trailer, that thing looks like, it just looks horrifying. Not, uh-huh. hor- no, I'm sorry, horrible. Right. Um, it is a horrifying. It movie. is horrifying. Absolutely. But um, I remember I saw the trailer and I was like, this looks really quite terrible. Yeah. Um, and then you see it and everything about it is virtually operatic in what it's about. But the way it's the way it's handled brings thing. it back down to reality.
1: Here's the thing, if 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 Lee Daniels had set out to make that sort of preachy movie, yeah. you know, he would have uh attempted to make Precious stand in for a million girls in her situation. Right. But that's not what he did. Yeah. This is a movie about a single character named Precious and it's her it's her story. Yeah. And the things that happened to her uh have probably happened to uh, other other uh, it happened to a lot of other people we know that yeah. you know and uh and, and so in that case she does stand for them but i i think the reason the movie ended up so well is because uh lee daniels made a movie about precious first yeah. and about the problems yeah. second you know and that's why i i think you and i differed on this but her like fantasy sequences were yeah. my favorite part of the movie yeah um and i think even though they're very loud and exuberant and vibrant, they're yeah. the saddest part of the movie because yeah. it's it, it's amazing to me that it's the same actress doing mm-hmm. Precious and then do, being this person in the dream. It's a completely different person. Yeah, she's so happy and she's so she's so free. And you and you see why Precious is the way she is because she's always on guard. Yeah, uh, you know she she's she's closed herself off, and when when, when you see what is inside her in her head and and yeah. you actually see Gabby Sidaby do these things singing and and being like a a pop star and all this kind of stuff yeah, yeah. uh it it's it, it's very sad to me
0: yeah it's uh there are i i didn't i didn't love the movie but it's got a lot it's got a lot of things that public enemies doesn't which is phenomenal acting uh-huh. and uh and by just in general uh Yes. Okay. There's a lot of moments written in there where it's just like, okay, here is Monique's Oscar moment. This okay. is the clip they will play when she is nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. And uh, and so, but I know the scene you're talking about,
1: and yeah. I, I thought about that in retrospect. But yeah. In the moment, I was just in that scene.
0: Uh as was I. Yeah. There's a few scenes like that, like the scene in which she's putting one over on like the welfare officer, uh-huh. or whatever, uh, clerk, whatever you call it. Um, Wait. she was great in that as well. Oh, you mean Monique. Monique was putting one over. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, because
1: Mariah Carey also worked for the. Oh right! No,
0: I mean when the person right. comes to her home. But was it?
1: Do you ever? Um, in the first scene, <laughs> this is totally off pace, but Okay. When she goes to the principal's office, and the principal says, "Hello, Clarice," were there laughs in the theater? Uh no, I don't know if it was intentional. Well, I
0: saw it. Uh, I saw a screener of it. Uh, oh okay. We, we weren't laughing. But. It's a very dramatic. Precious, film. His
1: real name is the character's name is oh, yeah. Clarice, and the principal says hello, hello, Clarice. but not like that. Yes. But it's still, it's early enough in the film that people chuckled in the theater. Oh, okay, yeah, no, me. I didn't. Uh, but uh,
0: my my problem with it is mostly okay. Sorry, everybody. My problem with it is mostly political. Like I feel like this is the kind of movie that certain people, certain like. As I, as people know, I'm kind of conservative, but like people that are really conservative, like I think they have an image in their mind of somebody like on welfare. Uh-huh. And it's this. And I think it's just like now it's that that has nothing to do that may not necessarily have anything to do with the film itself. And I'm sure there probably are people like Monique out there. I have no doubt there is. Uh-huh. But that there are but um but just somehow it just kept me like because so much of it is so negative like it's not enough that she can't read and that she's obese and that she's been raped by her father and that she has a child and the child is is retarded like <laughs> it's just all those things now the execution of those again it's very operatic in nature is brought down to be very specific and you and I believed it all uh-huh. but like just e- everything about it was just so so melodramatic that it kind of kept me from really embracing it um but uh but yeah it's it, it is a very well made film and and yeah, I it is melodrama
1: yeah. and I've said I feel like a broken record I'm sure yeah. I, I say this all the time that melodrama is used as a uh like a pejorative too often Right right it's just a type of storytelling Yeah because of the type of storytelling it is mm-hmm. uh it, it it's uh it, it draws lazy people to it Yeah uh, lazy storytellers, lazy filmmakers. Yeah. So there's a lot of bad melodrama, but no. melodrama itself is not. It, there's plenty of good melodrama yeah. too. Yeah. I, I
0: don't mean to. Uh, I don't mean to say melodrama is inherently bad. I think it's just um, in this particular film, it, it wound up kind of distancing me from it because the situations are very, very melodramatic, but the execution is very realistic, and so I just had a hard time like. Believing that this kind of thing would happen even though I'm sure it it does uh-huh. and and I talked to a friend who's like kind of very socially conscious and they said it's not unusual for like a somebody to have all of these problems because one will lead to another to right. another to another but uh, but yeah the film is is perfectly fine and man it totally confounded my all my negative expectations of it so yes there we go okay number eight for you number eight for me is what is it Oh, it's the informant! Informant! Oh, exclamation
1: point! Uh, yeah, I didn't see it.
0: Um, yeah, this is uh, I, I hate to put all these in, in context of like Oscars and stuff, but it was just completely ignored and it didn't deserve to be because it's been a long time. I, I really respect films that really truly put us in the head of the person that it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would uh, say Sounds, that I
1: think the informant is your public enemies. That's a possibility because I know a lot of people who didn't like it. Yeah, those people are dumb. But it's just I don't know anyone who liked public enemy kind of music except for me. So
2: it's got to be someone. Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert liked it. <laughs> there you go.
1: Um, but uh, and I think the Onion
0: enjoyed it as well. But um, but yeah, the informant. It's just uh, it's about this guy and and by the way, it's also one of the best uses of narration I've ever heard um, because it's just that running. Um, it's just stream of consciousness in his mind, and it just illustrates like how this guy's mind is always working. May not always be working on the things that it's supposed to be. <laughs> it may wind up getting distracted by this or that or whatever, but uh, but it's always working. This guy cannot stop. And it, and it's later revealed that this character Hat is I think uh, manic depressive. But um, it's a wonderful performance by Matt Damon. It's incredibly well. You know, sometimes like soderberg the like the experimental director um, sometimes I find him to be a little self indulgent but at the same time, like his curiosity in h- how he can make certain things work, and his whole approach to this story, which is hire a bunch of stand up comedians in all these uh supporting roles have like a quirky ragtime score by Marvin Hamlish, which I think was, I think it was really good. You and I discussed mm-hmm. that once, but, uh, well,
1: I don't, again, I haven't seen it. I yeah. just heard a lot of people complain about this. score. Right.
0: And, but the score was, the score was perfect for what Soderbergh was trying to do. Like in a story like this, no, that score doesn't work at all. But when you actually, but rather than have the score supplement, the story you view the score as informing the story like
1: oh what do you mean informing
0: inform well done <laughs> um but uh well done david i, I feel like moving on after that because uh, i can't top it but uh, but i really enjoyed it and it's just a really wonderful character study with one of the best performances i've seen from matt damon in a long time
1: okay um number seven for me mm-hmm. uh is up in the air
0: up in the air i guess we can talk about that later Okay. All right. What's now, number seven for you? The Hurt Locker.
1: Okay. Let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. got to keep in mind what we have and have not talked about. <laughs> yeah. Well, no,
1: I, The Hurt Locker is not on my list.
0: It's, really? Oh. That surprises me, actually.
1: No. I, I go through this Why every do you hate year? the Hurt Locker so much? I don't. I go through this every year. Okay. It doesn't qualify for me.
0: Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, uh, why? In case people are I, I feel are like new. I have
1: to do this all the time, but-
0: there's a solution for you not having to do this.
1: <laughs> yeah, but no, I I make my lists sort of um, it, it, with the the thinking that years and years from now we're going to look back at them and, and they're going to be documents of the time that they came out. You know, and so I'm very strict about what qualifies for which year. I'm not just saying what's in the public consciousness now because my lists aren't ephemeral. Okay, mm-hmm. they're meant to last. I'm gonna I'm gonna you know chisel them in stone someday oh jeez. uh so i wanted to be very uh, i'm very strict about what what qualifies and because of when hurt locker premiered on the festival circuit it's a it's a 2008 film Mm -hmm. by my uh uh, by my silly rules Um, i'm very anal about it and i hate having to explain it every year because there's always something that doesn't qualify and then i have to explain why it's not on my list let me ask
0: you this okay if it did qualify would it be on the list yeah okay just making sure.
1: Yeah, it would be it would be pretty high on the list. Okay.
0: All right, well, let's talk about the Hurt Locker. I feel like we I almost feel like because so many people have been talking about it for so long, I feel like not going into a lot of detail about it, but one of the things that I love about it, and and a lot of people have said this, just its approach is it was so right that they got an action director or like an action thriller suspense director to do this as yeah. opposed to a quote unquote serious director because a serious director would have made this just like any other war film. And I I don't mean to say that in a mean way. Right, but there have been a lot Oh, of... there are quotes around serious by the way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I
1: think that's Yeah, but uh, yeah, there have been a lot of Iraq movies and they haven't done that well because uh for different reasons, but I think yeah, one yeah. of the reasons is that they're um they're so serious that people It's going to turn people off because, you know, we're still living with this war. You know, it's uh, whether they're good or not, Fewer people are going to want to see them because it's going to be kind of a downer. Whereas Catherine Bigelow made not necessarily an action film, but uh, a a very suspenseful film.
0: Right. Like everyone, including myself, they said Catherine Bigelow, director of Point Break, Point Break, much as I may not care for it is the action sequences in it are really quite like pulse pounding uh-huh. and you need that because the character's pulse is pounding
2: uh-huh. you know
0: you need somebody with that sensibility bec- to get us i mean this is a char- there's a about a character who's an adrenaline junkie and so you need somebody who's going to inject it with some adrenaline as opposed to some sort of agenda uh-huh. which which a lot of the other ones have done and so ha- like having her direct this thing it was I I don't think the film would have gotten any Oscars. I don't think it would have like I just it wouldn't have had the same sensibility if they had gone with somebody who is more of a dramatic director. Like they needed somebody like a Catherine Bigelow to just inject it with its which with the much needed life uh-huh. that it that it required. And uh, and that's what I'll, that's kind of what I'll say is that it just that that decision which so many of us viewed as silly because like oh she yeah she's a very good action director and a good suspense director but come on this is a this is an Iraq war film
1: but she's also uh no as we talked about last week i am a mm-hmm. huge Catherine Bigelow fan right right and in a lot of her films uh particularly Point Break and uh and K-19 The Widowmaker The Widowmaker yeah yeah um in addition to the action and suspense she uh has just has an uncanny insight into the way that uh, men relate to one another. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because she's not one, maybe it's an outsider's point of view, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe you and I are, or, or, or the average male director is just can't see the forest or the trees, Yeah, but she has just such a sense for, uh, the, the, the way that men relate to one another and the way that they are friends or aren't, aren't friends and where the, yeah. where they're in competition with one another. Yeah. Uh, and then where they look out for one another. And it just always, it's, it, it, that's, that's always been one of her strengths. And it's the no. main reason that I love Point Break so much. In addition to the fact that it's uh, a kick ass action movie, it's one of the best movies about male friendship ever made, in hmm. my opinion. You and I still have not done an episode about
0: buddy movies. Yeah, we should do that. We should do that. I agree
1: with what we're, I just said. We're not out of ideas.
0: <laughs> not at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and so I just, I just really, I really love the movie, and it just wound up being different than I think anybody expected it to be, uh-huh. um, because it just, it had a very different sensibility than almost any other war movie I've seen.
1: Yeah, I saw it. I think um, I'm not sure. When did you see it? I saw, I saw it on my computer.
0: <laughs> a friend of yours helped me. That's
1: right. That's right. So. Uh yeah, I would I, have seen it
0: in theaters everybody and I will buy it don't worry
1: I saw it in the theater like April like when did it come out
0: yeah it was like, pretty early like in the year almost a year ago yeah
1: so I haven't really seen it since then but I knew very little about it and I was surprised and I knew Catherine Bigelow had directed it mm-hmm. but I w- it was sold as a or at least from what I read it seemed like an Iraq war drama and I was surprised at how uh, how, how tense and suspenseful it, it was yeah and, just and, constantly yeah yeah
0: but, uh, so that's, that's my, uh, what and are we Kate on? Kate from seven? Lost is in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And David Morse.
1: And that's another thing that she, uh, the, the, the sort of cameos that show up. There's David Morse, who's in the trailer. Yeah, there's, uh, uh Ray Guy, Guy Pierce. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Do people, is that a spoiler? Do people know that Ray Fiennes is in the movie? Um, I
2: don't, um, know. I don't
1: know. <laughs> Okay.
0: I don't care. You know, you don't know what he does, who he is. Yeah. I say that Ray Fiennes is in it, and, uh. If anything, Kate from Lost is more of a spoiler than Rafe finds. Okay. All right. Because she, if I'm not mistaken, isn't she the only woman? <laughs>
1: she is the only, only okay. the woman. In the movie, yeah. So, uh, so that was your number seven. Yeah. Uh, number six for me. Yeah. The movie that unseated Fantastic Mr. Fox is my favorite animated film of the year. Okay. Coraline.
0: All right. Which was the honorable mention that I skipped because I I kind of saw it coming. Yeah. So. Uh.
1: Here's here, here's what I'm gonna say. Uh, all right. Again, I'm going right. to go out. All right, easy there. All right. I already probably pissed off some movie nerds by saying that the the Michael Mann's action sequence in Public Enemies was better than the bank robbery in Heat. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say. All right. Coraline is Henry Selick's best film. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's hmm. going to piss some people off. That that's will. Not, it's not, there's a small contingent of James and the Giant Peach fans who are pissed off right now. Yeah. But there is an army <laughs> of yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas fans who hate me right now. Yeah, and I don't want to. I still love love Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, uh, but Coraline is his best film, and I'll and, and I'll t- I'll tell you why. Uh, I'll tell you why it's his best film. It's his most mature film. Yeah, because it has, in my opinion, an unlikable lead character. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, yeah she, I mean, she's. You know, she's the spunky cute heroine yeah. but she's still a brat. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And uh part of it can be dismissed by her age, but she still she doesn't uh respect her parents or what they do mm-hmm. or uh what they do for a living, you know, or or what she gets for what they do. Yeah. You know, she and she uh She's mean to the local kid. Yeah. And yeah. she bitches that her parents work all the time and then uh, I mean, he just wants her to buy, wants them to buy her a pair of gloves. Yeah. You know, it's just, she's, uh, very much a brat, but in a way that kids that age are. Yeah. In a way that's relatable. Yes. I mean, at the same, like, that's why she I doesn't say have any sure. Because yeah. it's not, it's not just an unlikable lead character. It's yeah. an unlikable and relatable lead character Absolutely. at the same time. And that's, that honestly is the main reason that's my, that I think it's his, his best film, mm-hmm. uh, just because i found it so uh dramatically uh meaty and mature from a yeah. from a character standpoint specifically um you know but also with what uh what she goes through i guess and this and it was what a fascinating
0: this was a fascinating year for children's films because again how, air quotes yeah how many of them i mean fantastic mr fox where the wild things are coraline up up i mean yeah how many of these now don't get me wrong I think I think kids could wind up liking most of those but Coraline is legitimately creepy and scary. Uh-huh. And I mean I but feel so like But so was Nightmare Before Christmas. Was it I I mean I was young yeah. when I saw it. Uh I guess I was like 10.
1: But also things uh, th- things that you that we find creepy as adults. Yeah. Or we found disturbing as adults. Yeah. Uh Kids' minds are a little bit more malleable, and so they can. Okay. I think they can they can take it more. It okay. it disturb I think it's disturbing in a fun way, and in a way that probably is more uh, subconscious. Yeah. You know. Wh- whereas, uh, you know, I, I know what you're like. At the end, when the other father is like uh, chasing her through the garden. Yeah. You know. <laughs> like. Yeah. Whew, yeah. That was, well, that was scary. And like the like the empty suit
0: and like the way it moves uh-huh. is really creepy to me and uh-huh. it just
1: ugh, ugh. Yeah.
0: I love it. It's an invigorating film. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But all so, right.
1: That's my favorite animated film of the year.
0: Okay. Uh, number six for you. Number Tyler. six for me is Inglorious Bastards. We'll
1: talk about it in a bit. All right. Number five for me. All right. In the loop. In the loop. We'll talk about it in a minute. <laughs> Lots of overlap. <laughs>
0: This is fun. Uh, what are we at 5?
1: Yeah, what's your number 5?
0: Up in the air. Okay, we can talk about up
1: in the air. All right, we're starting to
0: get <laughs> ch- uh, chips are down. Now we're starting to get uh, where we can talk I, about things.
1: I almost kind of wish we hadn't talked about up in the air so much with Graham and Chris because I think I spent my best uh my best little nuggets of wisdom about the movie. Uh, then Okay. <laughs> um, but uh the I mean, the main reason I I liked it is uh for and not the main reason, but one of the major reasons I like this is for the promise it shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something I said on the Graham and Chris episode. But yeah. um, uh, Jason Reitman has gotten so much better so quickly. Mm-hmm. He really seems like it's it's he's, he's like he's got some sort of like like artificial intelligence robot thing that at first is yeah so clumsy that it can't even like navigate <laughs> a ninety degree turn yeah. And but then like,
0: and then it's beating you at chess.
1: It learns exponentially, and yeah. I think that uh, while there are still some, <sighs> there are still a few cliches in this movie. Yeah. Um, from a from a directorial and screenplay standpoint. Hmm. Um, but I'm so invigorated to see what he's gonna do, uh, next because he's. If you look at, the uh, the aesthetic approach to thank you for smoking. Yeah. It's it's slick in a way that kind of fits the movie, but yeah, it's yeah. also safe because it, I'd say so, it puts yeah. the director at a distance, yeah. you know. And then uh, uh, Juno has the dialogue, which puts which causes the distance. Yeah, um, there are there are parts of this film, specifically everything at his sister's wedding or mm-hmm. around the the hometown. Yeah, uh, that just felt so uh, immediate and naturalistic to yeah. me that I couldn't I couldn't believe it was the same filmmaker.
0: Yeah and just and also yeah because he's a very stylized uh in the in the past has been very stylized mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong I love Thank You for Smoking I don't care for Juno but um yeah I don't either But there's um, a lot of style to that to that film if yeah. if nothing else the
1: dialogue but and like you get some instances you know the, right, Absolutely. Uh, him going through through uh, customs or whatever yeah. it, the not customs but security at the airport you know yeah. it's very, a very stylized sequence but in a fun way Absolutely and it happens absolutely. early in, on enough in the movie that he knows, dis- he knows he knows when to use it and when not to, but like I mean,
0: the whole film is very naturalistic. Like his, ever almost every scene he has with Vera uh, George Clooney has with Vera Farmiga is so. I mean, it's just it's just a pleasure to just sit back and watch these people talk. Uh-huh. I mean, and that that to me is just. I know I'm I'm boring and I'm an old man, but like that to me is just as invigorating as any huge action sequence because it's just like. Two characters that I'm intrigued by. I may not always like them, but I'm intrigued by them. Just talking with each other. I mean, people compared this to like the, that other, you know, George Clooney film with great chemistry, Out of Sight, where just them talking can be, you know, just as fascinating as as them shooting at each other. You know. Yeah.
1: Now we've been talking about Jason Reitman here, but let's yeah. also talk about George Clooney as as charismatic as he is out, mm-hmm. out of sight. Yeah. Uh, He's another person who just come leaps and bounds as an actor. This is probably his best performance, in my opinion. Hmm.
0: He's given some good ones, and I think this is because here's. I I think you might be right because in other performances, he's either called upon to really use his star power Uh or shed it. This is one of the only ones where he's called to do both almost simultaneously Uh because his character does have a confidence to him and and kind of a sheen to him. But is allowed to to do. He's allowed to show us what's behind it as well. Whereas something like a Michael Clayton or a Syriana, he kind of has to shed his movie star status and just show us, you know, uh, in spite of the, you know, this guy like looking really attractive and uh, and uh-huh. looking like he's got it all together. He really doesn't. In this one, he does have it together, as far as he knows, and as far as we know. Uh-huh. And it only and but even in him having it together, he never seems like he never seems like. Nick Naylor from Thank You for Smoking, uh-huh. who has it together to a point where it's like I don't, I don't feel like I'd meet this person in life. I feel mm-hmm. like I could meet George Clooney in life. Yeah, it's just a, it's such a, it's a breezy film which implies that there's no weight to it, but there is. It's it's such an an easy film to watch, but you'll still find yourself kind of challenged. I really love it.
1: Yeah, it's also a movie that. No, um, I will mention first my one. Uh, Quibble major problem with it, which is the annoyingness of movie scenes where someone gets up at a podium to give a speech mm-hmm. and then, part way through, realizes has some sort of realization. I don't right, believe right. this. I can't do this, and then storms off yeah. stage. Like it bothers me about w- it bothers me in traffic when Michael Douglas does it at, at the end. It's just it, I don't
0: usually like it. I actually did like it in traffic because. The way he delivers it. He delivers it as a guy who's not delivering a monologue, but a guy who really is unsure of the way he's saying things. Yeah, but I, but, I just still think
1: yeah, yeah. it happening at all it just never seems... I can't yeah. imagine. It just seems such a contrived yeah. uh, thing to happen. That's my main problem. Although the the end result of his decision actually... Redeem the movie again for me. Yeah, because you think uh, it's gonna let's not spoil Yeah. You
0: anything. think it's going well, what, what, I'll speak in broad terms. You think it's gonna be oh, this cliche leading to another cliche and that
1: Yeah, that's you, not the case. Yeah, you it kinda gets turned on its side. But yeah. um All right, moving the on. The last thing I will say oh, is uh like the Hurt Locker this is a movie that made great use of cameos. With like one oh, yeah. seen cameos, with Zach Galifianakis and J. K. Simmons. Yeah. Uh I'm leaving somebody out. There were there were there were others. There were others, yeah, yeah. Whose maybe names I don't know. Yeah. But um uh that that was a uh, very very well very well used yeah uh, those actors, okay that was your number five right yep now number four, uh, I think we're probably gonna have to wait because I'm pretty sure it's your number one movie of the year oh okay. it's Avatar,
0: <laughs> <laughs> look who's being funny, very funny all yeah. right Avatar hang on now Avatar is is wedged in between Precious and Five Hundred Days of Summer,
1: okay so on not, not in your top ten
0: not in my top ten, <laughs> um,
1: all right. Let's get into it.
0: All right. I thought, what I thought we were. <laughs> no, let,
1: let, let's let's talk let's, let's talk go about further because I I listen I know <laughs> I know uh, the dialogue is it's the worst that James Cameron has ever written and yep. that is saying something that is saying that is saying something. Um, it's not even wooden dialogue. It's like it's like particle board dialogue. It's like stuff IKEA stuff is made out of. Uh, dialogue. Hey, IKEA.
0: Hey, come on now. The vast majority of this apartment is IKEA. S- same with mine. All right. We're,
1: we're uh, urban twenty somethings. Absolutely. Our apartments are built out of IKEA. Absolutely. Um, and also, I know the plot is nothing new. Yeah. Uh, the um storyline about the natives and if 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 you try to extrapolate that and relate it to something in or in in real life uh, you know in the real world mm-hmm. it's uh so patronizing and condescending as to actually be racist okay i know all this all right i know all this that's good this is going to save us some time okay <laughs> but that's not why i go see james cameron movies okay uh here's the thought that I had walking out of the theater that for all his investment and obsession with new technology Mm -hmm. and breaking new barriers, his actual art comes from a very old place. It's very primal. Mm -hmm. All his movies are very primal. They're about just the most, uh, instinctive, uh, and basic wants and desires, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, if something is is bad you fight against it. Yeah. If something is good you chase it. Yeah. You chase after it, you know. Uh you want to fly. Yeah. You know, you want to 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 dream and to run and just to 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 live uh on the earth or in this case on Pandora uh the way that is ingrained into our our bones from just years and years of ancestry all the way back, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what made Avatar so invigorating to me. That's why, despite everything <laughs> <laughs> about Jeez, how David, st- I think you might be more negative about it than I am. Just a, 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 about everything about how stupid it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a uh, pure magical cinematic rush. It's yeah. Uh, it, 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 James Cameron makes movies that are p- part of the basic reason that people go to movies.
0: Yeah. I I, I agree with, uh, with all of that. Um, and I'll say just like, he's one of the, f- I think he's one of the few directors who is like, I really want to explore technology and every time he has, he's revolutionized it. Uh-huh. Like his exploration really does, are like benchmarks in visual effects, sound, like all that stuff. Uh-huh. And so... And and also, it should be noted, uh I I've not seen like any like all the like when when 3D started getting big again a few years ago, I didn't see anything because I heard like well, it just seems gimmicky to me, uh-huh. and so I haven't seen any of them except this, um, and this it's like this is what 3D should be. I feel like yeah, It's because I, I I've always said David that like. 3D should be used to immerse you as opposed to be like, what do you think of this? You know? Um, and I felt immersed. Your catch. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, watch out for this spear. And so um, so this this film, it didn't have a lot of those gotcha kind of things. Uh-huh. It really immersed you in Pandora. And his use of that was so subtle. I would venture to say it was the only subtle thing in the film. Right. Um, that I I really, I respected it so much. His, his, the the restraint that he showed in using something, because he revolutionized it in a way that uh, people have been talking about, you know, I've never seen a 3D film like this, and I'm sure there was part of him that said, like, all right, we did this, now let's show people how it's done. But then he realized the way to show them how it's done is to do it well and with restraint. Otherwise, it'll be overwhelming Uh as opposed to uh, immersive. And so... um, and yeah, visually it's all there. There's no question about it, and and it is. It's a film that I I feel I I talked about it for an hour on my other show. More than one lesson. Morethanonelesson.com. Um, Morethanonelesson.com. Go look, everybody. I know it's a Christian show. Go and listen to that episode. I don't uh, that one. I got so wrapped up in the filmmaking aspect, I forgot about uh, my my theological beliefs. Uh, apparently, because <laughs> um, that one I I talk about uh, pure pure film on that one, but. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a film that I feel like people should see in the theater, and yeah. I feel weird about that because so much of it, as you say, is terrible, and <laughs> and I th- and that's the thing is for me, it, visually it's such it's such an achievement. Um, and it, vi- it's not, I'll say, it's technically, not so much just terrible not just like, like
1: there's like, oh, this scene's really bad. Wait till we get to the good one again. Right. The stuff that is. Incredibly stupid about the movie is happening all at the same time as the stuff that is incredibly amazing right, and so you can just choose to focus on one or the other yeah <laughs> and <laughs> and that's, and that's, what that's I the did. thing is
0: is the the one that i that I didn't like kept encroaching on the part that I did, and I remember thinking like, if only this were good <laughs> like if only the story were good, the characters were good, um the dialogue was good. If only his, message, his messages were not so ham-fisted, and he clearly, you know, it's, man, he, he. hey, we all have to believe what we believe, that's fine, but the way that he puts his beliefs out there, it's just like, all right, I don't agree, and I guess that makes me an asshole or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, as much as I, because if you listen to the to the episode of More Than One Lesson, available at morethanonelesson.com, um you will hear me start to... I kind of talk myself into disliking it more than I actually did. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a film that, you know, the more I think about it, it bothers me that so many people view it as this amazing thing. And a lot of people talk about its message and like, yeah, but are you thinking about... As you say, it's very patronizing of certain things. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't necessarily like that people are saying, oh, it's one of the best movies of all time. It's like, yeah. If it were silent maybe. But... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so so I do feel that push and pull where it's just like it is such it's such a cinematic experience. You so seldom get those. A genuinely cinematic experience. But it's got all this other stuff that just got in the way for me. Uh and so uh David, I'm I'm fine that's on your list. I'm not judge I'm a little bit, but I'm not judging you completely. <laughs> well, okay. So I I go. can't
1: wait to judge you based on whatever the hell your number 4 is. Let's get to it right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What do you think they think that is? <laughs> okay. Did
0: you notice his voice get a little louder all of a sudden and maybe a little clipped? Um all right, so my number four
1: uh is In the Loop. Oh good. I I love that movie. Yeah. It was my it was my number five. All right then. It would have been my number four. If not for Avatar. If not for Avatar, damn it. <laughs> um Yeah, so uh
0: man, this movie it just came out of nowhere. Like yeah i had well, heard, i had been
1: a fan of the thick of it which i never saw uh which is the british um television series that the character of Malcolm mm-hmm. originated on he's the only, i mean it, it clearly takes place in the same world but he's yeah. the only character that's in in both the thick of it and in the loop yeah uh
0: i it's it, it's interesting because i uh somebody had mentioned it i I had done an episode of more than one lesson, which I talked about super bad, and I talked about swearing and the use of the artistic use of swearing and stuff like that uh-huh. um and then someone on the message board said, "Oh well, hey, if you like swearing, you should see this uh-huh. and I was like, Oh okay uh and i heard, and so I hadn't heard of it, and then all of a sudden I heard about it from like five different places uh-huh. and uh and your friend that helped me out with the hurt locker got me in the loop <laughs> and um and I watched it, and man i it's hysterical, but it is also – it's hysterical, but, like, there's, like – it's just one of the best ensembles I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. and Because th- there are a solid six great characters, and all of them are funny in their own way, but they're also very well-developed. And ultimately, what the film winds up being is actually kind of sad. Like, you do wind up choking on your laughter uh-huh. uh, by the end, because it's basically, for those that don't know, it's about – uh all the machinations going into the united states and great britain uh declaring a war yeah and and so you laugh and it's like oh this is all really funny but uh, you know people have compared it to dr strangelove and actually if you look at the two trailers i think whoever cut the trailer for in the loop really looked at the dr strangelove trailer and said i want to be that uh-huh. um but it's very much like that where you're laughing at oh this is all ridiculous and then the time comes and you realize exactly what they're talking about. They're talking about war. People are going to die. Yeah. And and it it adds it adds depth without ever being like look how important we are. It
1: still remains yeah. funny throughout. It's it manages to be uh you know almost you know over, over the top hilarious mm-hmm. but in a way always believable. Like you can kind of you can kind of go like this is probably how these kind of things happen. Yeah. Like and that's that's what makes it uh, kind of a horror film. In addition to being a comedy, yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, the realization is like a lot of people are going to die based on these idiots. Uh-huh. I, actually, I don't think anybody is straight up dumb. No, you're but, right. But um, there are people that are that are not very good at speaking and not great politicians and stuff like that. But um,
1: but. It, and no there one are people is, who are incredibly good at speaking and good at profanity. Abso- uh, right. Uh, but don't seem to have uh, a much in the way of a soul. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and at
0: some point on the show, we might wind up having one of the actors from In the Loop. Granted, it's none of the ones you're thinking of. <laughs> it's a guy named Johnny Pemberton. Um, but uh, we might wind up having him on the show. He's a local uh, stand-up comedian. and um, Yeah, we're, we're trying. But it's... Uh, It's just, if you haven't seen it, it's just incredibly funny. It is very foul-mouthed. But you know what? A foul-mouthed British film, who cares? It's so much fun to listen to, you don't even
1: realize what they're saying. But, I mean, it's a British film, but half of it takes place in Washington, D.C., Right, if not more of it. Yeah, Um, And and that's what leads to my favorite scene in the movie, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the sort of face-to-face verbal showdown between Malcolm, the... Uh, rail thin, rodent like, <laughs> uh, just f- f- profane in a way that manages to be flowery yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I would angry compare- little stick of a man facing off against James Gandolfini, yeah. who is the quiet but terrifying black bear. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, observe the black bear.
0: Um <laughs> Yeah, Malcolm Tucker is profane in a way that I, the only person I can compare him to is Don Logan, Uh which is Ben Kingsley and Sexy Beast. Yeah, Um, and so. But Malcolm has his shit together. He sure (laughs) (laughs) does. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely, but even he has moments where of like self doubt. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, not about his motivations, but about his his abilities. Uh And it's just, it's man, it's just a great movie. Through and through, and I just and it took me by surprise. I had no idea what to expect, uh, except that it was British and profane. And uh, man, I loved it. What a great movie! Yes. So that was my number four. What's your number three, David? My number three is Crazy Heart. Crazy Heart. All right. Now we're catching up on things. Here yeah. we go.
1: Uh, and uh, you know, I heard a lot of people saying about this movie the same thing that I said about the Wrestler last year. Yeah. And that, I mean, not just there's a lot of similarities in the in yeah. the character and the story, but a lot of people were saying. Uh, great performance, okay movie, which yeah. is how I felt about The Wrestler. Yeah, but I disagree. I love this movie uh, uh, all the all the way through. Yeah, you know, it seems uh, it, it it's just it's going to be a cl- such a cliche to say this. I can't believe I'm actually going to say it. Okay. Oh, man, but I'm it's excited. like it, the movie itself is like a really good country song mm. by a guy like Bad Blake. Yeah, um, who I was listening to the. Uh, the treatment and Elvis Mitchell's interview with, yeah. with Jeff Bridges recently, he was saying that, uh, the director, uh, is it Scott, Scott Cooper? Cooper? Yeah. Uh, said to Jeff Bridges, think of if, if bad Blake were real, he would have been the fifth member of the Highwaymen. you know, okay, which yeah. is Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, yeah. uh, Waylon Jennings and Chris Christopherson. Yeah. So he's
2: one right. of those guys. Yeah. And,
1: and that's what I'm saying. That the, the movie feels like the best one of their songs. Yeah. It, uh songs by by those by those people it's uh it's such a weary movie yeah. but so hopeful and so it's unconcerned with politics yeah or 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 anything just as uh as large and imposing as that it's yeah. just uh it, it's it's concerned more with something that's both as large and as small and personal as just humanity and, and yeah. uh and, and and how how you go about living day to day. Yeah. And and it also I mean Scott Cooper's a young man. Mm-hmm. But this feels like a film made by an old man and that's kinda that was because Willie Nelson was writing songs from an old man's point of view when <laughs> right. he was in his twenties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and that's kind of what that that's why I keep going back to this metaphor that it is the movie's like a really great country song. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it really I mean It's just... I mean, people talk about the performances. And, uh, yeah, they're all really good. Um, I'd venture to say great. I know a lot of people who don't like Maggie Gyllenhaal in the film, but she seemed so... Yeah, she was wonderful. Yeah, I really... She just seemed very... Everything about the film seems very genuine and unforced. Um, Even one could... I was surprised by how much I bought and liked... Colin Farrell's character. Yeah, I've always liked Colin Farrell. I like, I like, uh, that's, it's a new development how much I like him, but also just, first off, the way he's written and the way he's acted, because you expect, the way it's set up, like, all right, yeah, this guy, all right, this, the, here's the, Jeff Bridges is the mentor, and then his protege
1: surpassed him, and now he's this big star, and he's a total yeah, asshole. And this, what you're going to talk about is the reason, or the moment that I realized how much I love the movie.
0: Yeah, and then it turns out. He's a nice guy who wants good things for his mentor. He wants to bring him along. And the mentor just keeps getting in his way. Yeah. Of helping him. Yeah. And uh, and it just... Yeah, there that,
1: that scene in the restaurant with Colin Farrell, and then where it continues out into the parking lot. Yeah. And then the scene, the very small scene, not important to the plot at all, mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Bridges and Robert Duvall fishing. Those are the two best scenes in the movie.
0: Oh, it's great. Yeah, and it's... And Duval was one of the uh producers on the film, and you can see why uh, obvious tender mercies parallels <laughs> aside um just everything about it it's just got a certain quiet to it that uh that I think you know really works well uh and it's and you know I was actually thinking that like I was discussing um bad Blake's alcoholism with a friend of mine um because you know it doesn't seem like a big deal really, and then and then uh, a friend of mine summed it up really well. He said, well, you know, they can't all be The last Weekend. Uh-huh. You know, some people, their alcoholism, it's just such a fact of their life that him going and throwing up, that's a part of it. Him just casually going in for a drink and then, oh, he loses this girl, that's a part of it. You boy. know, it's... What? He's a boy. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry, this boy. Um, Like, that's a part of it. Like, it's just... It's all these just little things that are just a part of his life. Um... And it's not, him losing the kid is like, it's a big crisis moment, but, you know, they can't all be leaving Las Vegas or Lost Weekend. They can't all be like, you know, big, huge, like, oh my gosh, look how drunk I am. I love being drunk because I'm an alcoholic. It's just a part of who he is, you know, and it's like smoking for him. I mean, he just, he pulls out cigarettes right and left. It's just, it's just such a complete character and it, the film kind of refuses to point at any one thing and say, look, look at that. Isn't that amazing? Look what he's doing. He's Look how much he's drinking. Look uh-huh. how much he's smoking. It's just, a everything is just a, an extension of his character and it's just looking at all of him and the alcoholism is one aspect of him that is slowly starting to overwhelm him, of course, but it is just one aspect of him. And uh, And of course, all that said, the music is wonderful.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's And that, the movie could have, Suffered so much if the music hadn't been good. Oh yeah, but when you got T Bone Burnett on board, right? Yeah, you, and you're gonna you're gonna be fine. Well, and it's
0: and the song that that one best song. It's a it's a wonderful song. So many of those are are were yeah. great. That the uh, flying and falling song is just yeah. so it's it's so catchy. Like all of them really do feel like they could be hits. And you actually and you do see um, the difference between. Jeff Bridges' version of country, and Colin Farrell's version of country. You know, uh-huh. one is a little more produced, and one is a little more uh, gritty. And it's yeah. just... Uh, grizzled. I'd grizzled. That is that is much better, <laughs> yes. Um, and it's just, uh, you're right, it's just a film that just feels totally lived in, uh-huh. uh, which you would not expect from uh, a young director. A yeah, young uh, first-timer. Yeah, so I, I really enjoyed it. All
1: right, number three for you.
0: Number three for me is... Uh, Here's here's Avatar uh is up. Oh,
1: the the one you mean. Yeah. The one that I didn't like. Right, right. Um should I start by saying why I didn't like no, it? No, I'll start
0: by saying what I like about it. Okay. Um it uh it was my number 1 for the longest time and then a couple movies came along and, and bumped it out. Um and uh it's a film that I really I really you know, it's a lot like Ratatouille. Ratatouille explores some issues And I'm just like, ah, that's more of a distraction than anything else. And this film has certain aspects that are... I wouldn't go so far as to say that they're flaws, but they took me out of of the story that was being told. Um, Because it does such a thorough job of creating its characters and making them believable, relatable, that all of a sudden... You know, I mean, the the main character, Carl, he... uh, he, you know, he's having he gets married when he's young. He and his wife, like, they can't conceive. She gets sick and dies. Like, all of these things are very real.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And then all of a sudden, the balloons come out of his house, and you're like, "What? What? 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 Oh, right. Yes, this is an animated film. Um, that, and then of course the the dogs that talk and fly helico- uh fly airplanes and stuff. Yeah, they don't fly helicopters. Uh, come on now. <laughs> Easy there. That was in the first draft and they just threw it in the trash can. Um, But uh, stuff like that. Yeah, it does kind of take me out of it. But um, but it just. But the film just has such interesting things to. First off, it has strong characters, first and foremost, but also it, it explores themes that just really that I deal with a lot you can listen to the more than one lesson episode about this as well and that episode's a mess by the way this
1: episode of battleship retention is just a big plug for your podcast isn't it
0: well maybe if you listen more you'd hear that i make reference to this podcast all the time on that one too i'm involved in both (laughs) okay all right i'm constantly promoting everything about me (laughs) don't you understand Right. and so um but it's just it's there's a lot going on with up just that like the effect that grief can have on you and the idea of, like, not moving on, the idea of idealizing the past in a way that could actually hurt you. I mean, it's it's notable that, I guess, spoilers, my guess is most, most people have seen Up at this point, but the character that is revealed to be the villain is one that our character, uh, you know, idolized for the longest time and then and the very fact that that character has become a villain that can be a you can view that in itself as a symbol of yeah the past isn't always you know the past isn't always what you thought it was going to be nor is your elaborate dreams of what could have been uh-huh. um and so there's all that and of course uh for me just visually it's uh, it was really astounding just the its use of color was really wonderful its character design and and uh even right down to the design of the house you know because it's it doesn't look like a house that we would live in. It looks like the essence of a house that that's old and loved. Yeah. So those are all the things that I like about it. But I, I, I acknowledge that like there's some stuff that I think to adults would wind up just distracting us. And it distracted that's, me. And took and me out it of it. It did a little for me. I, I, yeah.
1: This isn't really Avatar for me. I mean, I didn't hate this movie, Right, right. I right. hated Avatar. I don't <laughs> hate
0: Avatar. I just uh mixed up. <laughs> well, I, on I it.
1: mean I I liked up, but not uh, not enough and I had some some major problems with mm-hmm. it uh, and they're the same problems like you mentioned that I had with Ratatouille it's yeah. the, the film seems to take place it seems to shift between two different worlds yeah you know and um, uh, you know Pixar has done great when 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 humans are pushed to the sidelines of the movies you know in the, your, mm-hmm. to, your toy stories and your Finding fighting nemos but the only the only time Pixar has made a movie that managed to be a magical Pixar movie and have human characters mm-hmm. and have it work for me is the Incredibles, Hmm. which is, what about wall Uh, I, would, I don't even think of them as, as human. Oh, okay. <laughs> you right, know, they, like they don't represent. Yeah. Uh, they're not close enough to what we are. <laughs> those humans. <laughs> okay. And, I mean, them, they're mostly, except for Jeff Garland, the right. character, they're, they're not really, they are pushed to the sidelines. That's true. Uh, they're all interchangeable for the most part, um, and I yeah I had other problems with Wally, but okay, <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. Another time, yeah. So the yeah those are my problems with Up. Uh, okay, and hopefully they'll. Uh, I mean, I, I I I agree that Pixar has done amazing things for right. American animation that we hadn't seen before, but I'm still not I'm not I haven't completely jumped on board. Yeah, we, like a lot of people have. There's a lot of things you
0: can read David's blog about it on yeah. our website. Yes, see, I made reference something you did. Oh,
1: thanks, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, in in my opinion, and I say this in the blog, it just reminded me of it. That Pixar has two two verifiable masterpieces, and that's okay. Finding Nemo and The Incredibles. All right, and two masterpieces in ten years is uh. uh that's that's astounding on its own. We don't need to pretend that every one of their films is a masterpiece. Right. It's astounding enough they made two. Yeah. And also, yeah, uh, very good to great. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can make do with that. Okay. That was your number three? Yep. All right. Number two for me, the return of Quentin Tarantino in Glorious Bastards. All right. Uh, now, we've talked
0: a lot about this film already, but let's uh let's, let's Well, go ahead. I think our
1: biggest discussion about this film was in a lost episode. That's true. <laughs> um
0: You mean that episode where we discussed lost? Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> we were really off on a tangent that day. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh man, I was I was trepidatious. Yeah, me too. Going into this. Uh I just thought uh, you know, it looked it looked cartoonish in a way that had turned me off from mm-hmm. the Phil Bill movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and just given his track record over, you know, post Jackie Brown, I just thought he might have gone too far down the rabbit hole. We might have lost, yeah, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, uh, and I, I was so 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 pleased with what I saw. Obviously, it's my yeah. number two movie of the year, um, because it is cartoonish. Yeah, um, and it's it's it sort of caused, it sort of led me to think to rethink, uh. Pulp Fiction, okay. Um, because I, I I I used to think of like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, and Jackie Brown being at one end, mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, the Kill Bill movies and the one I didn't see, yeah, uh, being at the other end, yeah. Um, but it's actually they all sort of exist in the same, they all they all have the same elements, yeah. It's just where the balance is, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. and that's uh that's the great thing about. Uh, you know, because look at in Pulp Fiction when Uma Thurman like makes the square sign with her fingers, and oh, the yeah. square appears on screen. Like that's silly and and it is a little cartoonish. It's yeah. very cartoonish actually. And but he, it's the balance is right, and I think once again he got the balance just just perfect. Yeah, and he uh, he made a movie that uh it's it's like it came out of a mad scientist lab. Yeah who would have thought to make that movie uh,
2: n- nobody <laughs> nobody uh, except him
1: yeah it's it's huge and baroque uh and then it's also a like uh like a you know there's there's like one-on-one scenes that you could see and some like like black box theater oh yeah you know at, at, at the same time and it's and it's horribly gory mm-hmm. and it's uh about you know war and man's inhumanity to man, yeah. but it's also really about cinema, oh yeah, <laughs> and that uh and cinema is apparently the best contribution that mankind has made to culture, I'd say it's up there <laughs> yeah and and that and that cinema has the power to change and save the world hmm. uh that's this movie's about all those things at the same time, yeah, and again, like with like with pulp fiction and Red Sport dogs and jackie brown the balance is just right.
0: Yeah, I, this one really uh I mean, the minute I saw uh you know, Brad Pitt with a mustache and an underbite saying Nazis, I'm like, "Oh, here it comes." <laughs> and then I and then you see the Now, of course, you and I've I think we've discussed uh, probably more on the Lost episode than anything else, but uh uh and we discussed it on the Paul Goebel show. Uh I had some issues with its kind of black-and-white depiction of Nazis and Germany and evil in general and, and all that. Um, but, you know, after a while, I just I realized that the universe that he's creating in this film,
1: it is black-and-white. Yeah. You know? The good guys are good not because of what they do, but because they're the allied forces. Right. And the bad guys are bad not because of what they do, but because they're yeah. the Axis. Right. That's... That, and that's there is no need to explore the yeah. meanings of good and bad any yeah. further in that film. Yeah. Allied is good, Axis is bad, and that's all you need to know about it.
0: Yeah, and it's where literally like every Nazi is an extension of Adolf Hitler. That's all. Uh-huh. And um, and so I, I, mean, I still instinctively am just like, ah, but what if there's someone out there? And, and you know what I just I need to get out, again, get out my get out of my own way, <laughs> realize that this is not Judgment at Nuremberg, right. and just. Accept it for what it is. And what it is is just an insanely well-done movie. Uh, virtual masterpiece, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and just... And, you know, all, all of my complaints with, like, Death Proof, um, they... I'm not saying that they're groundless, but, in fact, I, I feel like he's almost proven them here, which is, you know, page after page of dialogue is not inherently interesting. If the characters saying them is interesting,
2: uh-huh.
0: or if the situation is interesting, then that's all you need. Yeah. And there's nothing more interesting than all of the, all of the intense dialogue, uh, intensive dialogue in this film. The situations and the characters could not be more interesting. They are so, it's so stressful and so suspenseful uh-huh. that just like, just these guys talking, it's like something terrible could happen at any moment. And it often does.
1: Yeah. But, um. Pretty much at the end of every scene. Yeah, I'd something say horrible so. Yeah. Happens. <laughs> um,
0: but then there's some scenes where the, something terrible happens, and then it's time to start talking again, and then there's something <laughs> terrible again.
1: Uh. But I, I also think, um. You, you have to give credit. Uh, now, obviously, Christoph Waltz has gotten the most attention, and yeah. You know, he's great. Yeah. Uh, he, he deserves every bit of attention he's gotten. But you shouldn't forget, uh. Michael Fassbender. Oh, yeah. And, uh. Daniel Bruhl. Yeah. Um, who were both just um, amazing, and maybe the fact that they're uh, that they're not Americans uh, helps them sort of not get too caught up in the uh, Tarantino ness of it all. I suppose. You know? Yeah. That the, they're sort of able to pull it back in, into their direction, into a more grounded place. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure what it is, but those. And and if, uh, how could I forget Melanie Laurent? Yeah, yeah. The, those those four non-American actors, and the, the Americans, you know, yeah. Brad Pitt's very good. Paul Rust is great. <laughs> yeah, still friend a of the show. Yeah, um. But it's, yeah, Christoph Waltz, Daniel Brühl, Michael Fassbender, and Melanie Laurent are mm-hmm. that's what makes the movie. Is, yeah, is, is those four. And
0: uh, yeah, it's it's odd that you bring up uh, Michael Fassbender because he's not in it. Very,
2: no, very well. But long. he is my favorite character in the movie.
0: He's great. He's really... You know, and it's one of those things where, man, uh, anybody who has chosen the, the pursuit of film criticism, they look at that and it's like, as a film critic, you're the only one that can help us. And it's like, <laughs> yes, of course it is. Now we're talking. Yep. <laughs> Not since Devil's Rejects uh, has something like this happened. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just it's just such a wonderful film and just so much fun. And as I've said before, it just... There's so much vitality to it that... Uh, other films can't even touch. Yeah. So anyway, all
1: right. Number two for you.
0: Number two for me is in. the White Ribbon. Oh, oh. Yes.
1: Okay. What? I had an I. I had a different idea.
0: Oh, I thought. I thought I told you. No. No. I think I did, and you forget.
1: Oh, this will be interesting.
0: Okay. Yeah. Number two for me is the White Ribbon, uh, yeah, which I didn't see. I made. I made the effort.
1: Hey, I didn't see it.
0: When you're as big a fan of foreign films as I am, <laughs> sure. I believe it's the only one I saw in K- that came out in 2009. <laughs> Although Gre- friend of the show, Greg Helvey's copy was not in English. I'll take it. Um, but the uh, man, it's again this one. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't say it snuck up on me because I knew it was going to be great. It, it, it already had gotten a lot of accolades and stuff.
1: And you're already a, fa- a fan of Michael Haneke yeah. Going in. Yeah. And so. Although they pronounce his name all sorts of Austrian on the Oscars, and I, I'm going <laughs> to stick with Michael Haneke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's, that's
0: how we know him, and, and that's how we love him. Um, but it's, uh, it's a film that is... Now, of course, I've only seen one of his other films, which is Funny Games. Mm. And, but based on what I've heard of about his other films, they're almost always very small in scope. Yeah. Now, and, and this film, which is a period film... Shot in black and white, mm-hmm. and it's about a lot—an ensemble of characters as opposed to just four. You know, um, it just—it seemed different for him, and the tone is a little different. It, uh, it's certainly different than than Funny Games. Yeah, but no, he... no
1: i, I I'm—I hmm. know I know almost nothing about the film except that I really want to see it. So. Okay,
0: should I? Are you saying that I should say? why are you saying that
1: I, I I guess just don't ruin too much for me I, oh I, I, I don't won't. really know much about the story is I it, won't. is it about uh bourgeois people having horrible things happen to them that they deserve because that's kind of what all these films are about uh not bourgeois okay uh, and
0: and do they deserve them or don't they you really don't know
1: but horrible things do happen to people in this. Oh, movie. there's no question. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, it's, he's got you covered on that one, David. Still good old Michael keep
0: Yeah, <laughs> good. <laughs> anyway, um, but it's just, it, it just, it, it's hard to it's hard to discuss because the film, first off, is is visu- visually beautiful. There's a reason that it was that it was up for cinematography. It's just really brilliant use of black and white. It really feels old. It just feels like it really. Uh, establishes the period uh, in which it takes place which is pre-world War one but just just there um, and and what I like is that is that the characters it's very complex in the way that it approaches them there are characters that you think oh okay this guy is a bad guy he's just a jerk and then in a later scene or often sometimes in that same scene the person will give you a hint that oh maybe maybe he's not all bad. And much in the same way, there's a character that you think is good. And then all of a sudden, here's something to say, oh, wait, ooh, there's something there I don't like. And there's just, there's a lot of, it's just a very complex film. Um, and basically, yes, what it is about is about this small village uh, in which thing bad things happen, nobody knows who did it uh, or why. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's them trying to kind of get to the bottom of the mystery but don't get me wrong it's not a mystery uh-huh. but there is an element of like who did this and and I think I think that's one of the reasons why he felt that he needed to have so many characters because it almost feels it doesn't feel like a whodunit, it but that me mean, it means there there could be any, any number of people that could have done these things um and so it's just and that's the thing is I, I don't want to give anything away but I'll just say that it's just a film that really is very haunting and just just invigorating. And the joke that I made, by the way, when I came out of it is the film is everything that people who don't. Okay, I made jokes about me not seeing horror uh, uh, horror films, uh, foreign films. (laughs) I do. I do see foreign films. I just don't see them that, that often. But the white ribbon is everything that somebody who doesn't see foreign films thinks foreign films are. It's period. It's black and white. It's very slow moving. It's long and it's in another language. <laughs> and it's just like, and it's, and it just goes very much at its own pace. And, uh, and I like that. It made me chuckle when I thought that. But, uh, but yeah, I highly recommend it. If you haven't seen it, uh, really see it if you can. I realize right. that not everybody that's listening to this lives in a place where they can probably just go see it. But when it comes out on DVD, give it a watch.
1: Yes. No, I think you know what my number one is. I'm very excited to find out what yours is. Okay. Because I don't think you did tell me. I think you already know. (laughs) Um, But uh, my number one is your number 10. Ah. Spike Jones, Where the Wild Things Are. Where the Wild Things Are. All right. Um, Now, okay. In 2008, there's a movie that came out uh, written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. Okay. called Syne- Synecdoche, New York. Yes. And I hated it. Yes, you did. Hated it so much. Yeah. But I also made it very clear that I hated it for uh, j- just very personal r- reasons. Right. And I totally understand why someone could see that same movie and love it. And I right. could, I'd be fine with that. Right. It's, it's really not for... Usually when someone says, oh, it's not for everyone, they're asserting their... A sort of elitist point of view. Yeah, you know, it's for me. Yeah, it's yeah. not for everyone because everyone's not as smart as me. Right. But I really, I literally mean it. The, the, with with a movie like Syne- Synecdoche, Key New York*. Yeah. That, it, it doesn't. It's not a. It's not buckshot. It's not shooting wide. It's 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 a, yeah. a, a, a sniper There's a sniper here. He's shooting in one specific place, and if that place doesn't isn't yeah. on your radar, then it. Uh, mixing the metaphor here, but uh it's not going to mean anything to you. Yeah. I feel the same way, but I'm on uh, the opposite side of the spectrum with where the wild things are. Okay, I totally get it if you hate it. I know a lot of people who hate it. Yeah, uh, that's that's fine with me. Um, now the downside of this is that uh, when a movie speaks to you so personally as this one does, it's hard to to put into words why. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna stumble over trying to talk about why I love this movie so much. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And and, and and especially because I'm not a guy who is nostalgic for like my childhood. Yeah. At all. Not that I had a bad childhood, I had a great childhood. Yeah. I'm just not a nostalgic guy. Yeah. Um I like I like being able to stay up late, go to bed whenever I want. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty great.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: David, you yeah. wanna go get some cookies? We can. But maybe if you it's want.
1: that part of me that uh it's that part of me that doesn't romanticize my childhood mm-hmm. that likes where the wild things are. Um because even though I think a lot of maybe a lot of people are liking it, the people who do like it like it from a nostalgic point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh I like it because of how uh just uh mean and violent and crazy and unstable uh the the depiction of childhood is. And that's I mean mm-hmm. that's what the the movie is about, like those all those all those wild things are just different aspects of a child's personality right right you know um but it's it's not about how it's not about some dumb thing or people like where children see the world in a more pure or open right. way than everybody else does right. they see it differently but they're also often sometimes confused by it or they see it wrong or it yeah. doesn't make sense and when it doesn't make sense uh, or they 're too sensitive about it, they lash out and they hurt each other and themselves and their parents and uh it, it's uh, i i i that's that that's that 's about the best I can do I think is just talk about okay. that it was it's such an honest way it's so much the way I remember childhood being yeah yeah uh that that 's why I loved it so much all right um now
0: david when we when you first saw it. And then you declared it at the time to be your favorite movie of the year uh-huh um
1: and nothing has knocked it off it's purpose. nothing has
0: knocked it off um which actually uh, kind of surprised me but uh I saw it, and it you know it's my number ten uh-huh but um I saw it, and there was something about the basic fact of the film
1: that really bothered me about it see this All is right? the same thing that you the problem you had with, with Avatar with glorious, bastard. Sometimes you need to just, like you said, get out of your own way. Okay,
0: I, and I will. But hang on a <laughs> second. Here's my here's my issue. Um, is that uh, this is a film? This is a film for adults. Like we talked about. You know, I talked about like Coraline and Fantastic Mr. Fox, where the wild things are, as being ostensibly for for children. This one is. I don't think it is at all. Um, I think. Kids will probably go see it, but quite frankly, I think unless they're—I would love, like my nephew is eight, I would love to ask him. I want him to see it and ask him what he thought.
1: Well, I know um, my girlfriend's nephew was—he's five now. It was four when mm-hmm. he saw it. And he liked it a lot. He liked it a lot. Okay, yeah, but I think there's just something about the big talking yeah. monsters. Okay, you know, and and I think. The the dirt clod fight and chasing through the woods and all that stuff is, yeah. that is, is so visceral that uh, and yeah. so joyous, um, even though it is also hurtful and painful yeah. and violent. But uh, I just think uh, subconsciously that any child is going to tap into those parts of the movie at least. Right.
0: And I feel like a kid that is old enough to... And, again, this is just pure speculation on my part, but I feel like a kid would watch this movie saying, like, why are these monsters so sad? <laughs> you know? And it's, it's one of those things where the, the comparison that I made, the, the the image that I had in my head, was Spike Jones is walking along. He sees a young child reading Where the Wild Things Are. He goes, hey, what's that? Kid says, oh, it's Where the Wild Things Are. It's really good. He goes, huh, let me take a look. He reads it and he goes... You're right. That is really good. Thanks. And then walks away with the book. (laughs) And the child is left crying without the book. Um, There's a way to make a film that incorporates both of us, uh, you know, children and adults. And I think he literally just took something that was for children and rather than share it, just took it for us, the adults. That said, I am an adult. Uh So, like, the principle of it bothers me the the execution of it. Well, I am an adult, but you also have to remember. When was yeah. the last time you
1: read the book? I read while well, I read it at a bookstore the other day. Because they they're not the monsters aren't exactly fun loving any more so than they are in the movie. No, there's, there's, there's the the wild rumpus, yeah, you know, which everyone enjoys. But then, I mean, for most of the book, they're just they're angry, yeah, or Max is being a, a dick to them, sending them to the room for no good reason, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh <laughs> well done. Um it's that that's
0: true, but at the same time like there's still like a, a definite magic to the book that I think that the film is lacking. Again, it's my number 10. I still really love it and I uh, David, did you cry at all in the film? No. I did, which is odd cuz you usually well up more than I do. Yeah. We actually are going to talk about this someday, movies that make us cry, because you and I cry for different things, yeah. different reasons.
1: Sad stuff doesn't make me cry. Sad stuff makes me cry. It's usually... Because I'm a person. With with exception, but it's usually happy stuff that makes okay. me cry.
0: Um, and there's a lot of... Oddly enough, the stuff that in the film that made me well up was not necessarily the sad stuff. Like when when everybody is uh, sleeping in a real pile, you know? Yeah. Um
1: and just the god i want to go see this again i wish it was still playing <laughs> just, at the vista i want to go see it
0: the security that max feels when he's in there he just he is so safe and he is so happy it's everything that he always wanted it to be uh the the beauty of that and the innocence of it um really got me you know and so so like it just i had a real emotion i i also had like a deep emotional connection to the film because the the characterizations of the wild things is they're very complex and I mean they're simple yet complex you know and um, because each one is kind of playing like one trait but the way in which they interact with each other it's never quite what you think it's going to be Mm -hmm. which is much like childhood itself and so that's the thing is like the principle of it, I'm not on board with, but the execution, because it is for me. How can I help but not react to it? Yeah, because I do have I do have hindsight. I do remember what childhood was like, and all of that. So I did like it a lot, and uh, and so yes. Yeah, but you loved it. It's your favorite film, 2009.
1: Yes, and your favorite film of 2009 is going to be a complete surprise to me. I swear. I think it's not. Okay, what is it? The Messenger. Uh maybe you, maybe you did tell me that. I think I did. Yeah. I think I'm right. Thanks
0: everybody for listening. <laughs> um but uh yeah, so The Messenger. This one did sneak up on me because I'd only heard about it in terms of Woody Harrelson's performance. And that was it. And
1: then it was up for screenplay. Sure, why not? Yeah, but I mean frankly to me I I I liked it, but Woody 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 Harrelson's performance was the the main thing for me.
0: Uh, him and Ben Foster, I think. They were both. Oh, sure. Ben Foster's always good, but... It's a... a, You know, it's just like The Visitor. It's like The Visitor the year before, where it's everything that I like films to be, or at least everything that that I respond to, which is... um, You saw it, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, Oh, that's right. You just mentioned it. Um, (laughs) But it's just... You know, much... Oddly enough, this... 2009 seemed to be the year when there are movies made uh, seemingly about the war but peripherally i mean i guess I, I guess the hurt locker is not peripheral but it's about something that people hadn't talked about yeah. before and it seemed to kind of remove some of the politics from it as well um just to the fact of what people are going through and uh, and also i had never seen a story told from the point it, for those that don't know it's i guess you wouldn't because it's a very small film but mm-hmm. uh it's a movie told from the point of view of people uh, who are in the army, and their job is to inform uh, the loved ones of soldiers who have died that this that their loved one has, has died. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'd never seen that before, and I knew somebody had to do it. You see the scenes from the other side, yeah. and those scenes have so much power, uh, I think. I mean, there's... You mean in all of cinema, or just in... Oh, I, I'm sorry, in this film. Right. Th- those scenes in this film have so much power because the the responses are always a little... They're always a little different. Like, there's a scene, first off, with uh, a dad, played by Steve Buscemi, mm-hmm. who... he What's odd is that he knows what's coming because the minute he sees them, he goes, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. And then they tell him, but he still responds as if he didn't know what was coming because knowing what... like. Knowing it that it's coming doesn't change the. F- it doesn't help when it actually has come now, and yeah. you know the fact of it. And his response is just huge, and it's you know some of the best acting I've ever seen from Steve
1: Buscemi. It's really which is saying something, which yeah, which is really yeah. powerful. I want to actually do want to talk about those scenes, and mm-hmm. the, there's I guess there's two sort of different ways they could have gone. Yeah, the one way they could have gone is to make those scenes. Uh, Make it into a routine, mm-hmm. you know, which would have said something about their jobs and what they do. and Right. Uh, and, and would have been maybe a more cynical way of looking at it. Yeah. Uh, but instead it went the complete opposite way, where each time you see them nextify a note of kin... It n- <laughs> notify a next of kin. Yeah. I said notify a note of kin. Oh, I didn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, notify a next of kin... Um, it plays out uh, in a completely different way yeah. every time. Yeah. And it, I think it says more about their job and what they do yeah. than than doing it the other way. Yeah. Uh and it also it shows more of an just an appreciation and understanding and embracing of of humanity.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that it's each one is a little different. Some are really bad. And the characters like the very first one you see is terrible. I mean it's really terrible. Uh-huh. It's uh, the mother and girlfriend of this pregnant girlfriend, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. of this guy that has died, and uh, and they start like slapping the soldiers, and and they just like get really upset, and you think like, oh my gosh, is, are they all going to be like this? And then you hear Woody Harrelson on the phone saying, yeah, it was pretty bad, and so mm-hmm. you be like, okay, so that's a bad one. So what does a good one look like? Yeah, is there such a thing as a good one? And there was one that really got to me where. They inform this – they talk to a, a middle-aged man uh-huh. and say, uh, we need to talk to Mrs. So-and-so. And he goes, hang on a second. Like, he's really angry. And he goes up and talks to his daughter, who has gotten married to this guy without the father's knowledge. Uh-huh. And, and the father's being an absolute prick. He cannot believe that this is happening. And he's just so pissed off. And then they actually say, what happened? That the, that the soldier has died. And the girl immediately breaks down, and the father, there's a complete switch because he realizes, all right, well now I need to be there for my daughter, uh-huh. and and it's and that switch could seem cliche or silly or not realistic, but the switch is it, it's it's played by an actor that I've I don't remember his name but I've seen before. Yeah, he was in The Savages as the man mm-hmm. that uh, Laura Lenny's having an affair with, so he's a good actor. Yeah, um, and his he makes that switch really organic and those are just those are just those scenes but like you also see the the situation with Ben Foster who does a, an amazing job he's really emerging as a, a really solid mature actor you see the scenes between him and Woody Harrelson between him and Samantha Morton who plays uh the wife of a of a guy that has... Uh, a soldier that has died and they develop a romance kind of i mean they're like interested in each other but you really get the impression that they're in they're they're just filling a void in each other's lives mm-hmm. and they both they both kind of know it without saying it and just the fact and l- what i just said there they know it without saying it there's a lot of things that aren't said and the things that are chose that the writer chose to say and not say i think is one of the reasons why the film works so well and never seems uh melodramatic in a bad way um and i think it's one of the reasons the script was nominated uh and so the messenger—it just really hit me. It's just—I think it's like a very subtle film. I wouldn't say, from a filmmaking standpoint, it's fine. Uh, I like the director's use of long takes, mm-hmm. um, and his his faith in his actors to just, all right, you're carrying this because we're not going to be editing here. Uh-huh. It's just up to you now, you yeah. know. And then maybe we'll bring some music up if we feel like it. But right now, it's on you. You know, it's like he's, it's almost like he's, it's almost like he respects the characters too much to cut away from them. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's a film that really, I certainly wouldn't say it's the best film of the year, but man, it just, it got me in a way that I was not expecting.
1: All right. So well, there we go. I'm I'm just so glad about where Woody, Woody, Har- Woody Harrelson is in his yeah. career right now. Yeah. what Where he's come from his sort of nineties, like money train yeah. type of bullshit, yeah. you
0: know? Where he I mean, was trying so hard to get away from Cheers that he did co- almost anything that wasn't that.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, with... I mean, okay, Zombieland was a blast. Yeah. And he was a lot of fun in it. But with The Messenger and with... Uh, was it last year or two years ago, Trans-Siberian? I think but, it was last year. Uh, or 2008. Yeah, 2008. Um, Which is probably one of the probably maybe the best performance of his entire career in my opinion he's so great in trans-siberian he is pretty great in in, in a way that he's because he's not the lead of the movie right he's in the whole movie and he's yeah. important to he's important to the lead yeah. but it's very it's almost definitively a supporting role absolutely yeah and uh he just he's just pitch perfect in that movie so yeah. uh yes for a lot of people this might have been the year of sandra bullock but what with Zombieland, The Messenger, and 2012, absolutely. I think this is the year of Woody Harrelson. <laughs>
2: um,
0: yeah, so uh, so those are our top ten, everybody. I will go and, and yeah, thanks for po- sticking with us. Yeah, I will go and post it in the blog. Um, and uh, also, just to remind everyone that if you want to discuss this, you can go to battleship, uh, battleshippretension.proboards.com, mm-hmm. or there is a page if you click New Forum. Um, on dot then that will provide you with a link to yeah. go there. Um, and thanks to everybody who's been taking part in it so
1: far. Okay, yeah, and uh, yeah, as you said, battleship com is a place to find us or email us, Tyler at battleship com or David at battleship com. You can follow us on Twitter. I am David, I'm at the pretension uh Tyler is at more lessons which is the official twitter for his other podcast more than one lesson dot com mm-hmm. uh, more than one lesson which you can find at more than one Lesson.com. my other p- podcast is previously on which you can find in iTunes as you can with more than one lesson uh or at previously on dot dot com that's l i b s y n mm-hmm. um and uh uh we already talked about the donation thing so uh, <laughs> that's normally where i would end oh, but, yeah yeah uh, yeah so Find us all over the internet, I guess. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.